Just their wish to keep their heads. Hmm? Danton tried to restore the monarchy. I had the proof. I knew. I had to dispose of him and the Girondin. Even now, convention members are at work plotting my downfall. But I will triumph, even if I have to execute every last one of them. Death, all when death. <laughs> Welcome to Time Streams. I'm Nathan. And I'm Juliet. And in this episode, we talk about the final serial of the first season of Doctor Who, The Reign of Terror. Ooh. <laughs> I tried to think about how I could do that with a French accent and then just realized that there was no way. La <laughs> <laughs> So how have you been doing, Juliet? I have been crazy busy. Mm. Oh my gosh. I don't know what I was thinking. I don't draw, first of all, and yet something <laughs> in my brain said, let's do two different drawing challenges daily for the month of October. So here I am with a pen and paper and promise myself no drawing in pencil, use the pen. Mm. And if you make a mistake, oh well. Mm. I, I mean, I draw bad stick figures. <laughs> And I did 62 drawings during October. I'm very proud of myself. Well, you, you draw better than I ever could, so uh, yeah. whatever that's worth. Well, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. But it was crazy, and then I was like, oh, I'll sleep. No, I won't. NaNoWriMo started as soon as all that ended, so here I am trying to catch up on that. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I saw the other day where you had, like, a checklist that you posted of all the things that you wanted to do just in one day. I was like, that's a little ambitious. I failed miserably. Just okay. say that now. Well, I'm glad I at least took the podcast recording off the table for you. So at least that one wasn't what wasn't there to take up your time. I appreciate it. It did let up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> How is everything with you? Oh, uh, things are okay. Um, I was a little worried about the cat um, oh, no. last week. I think it was last week. All the weeks blur together anymore. I don't leave the house. So it's right. kind of like, it was at some point in the past. But, uh, but yeah, she was throwing up and we didn't know what was wrong with her. And the doctor was like, well, she's constipated, but we don't know if there's something obstructing her that we just can't see on an x-ray or, you know, if there's no obstruction. And so she was, she was not well for several days and I was getting a little worried because she wasn't, you know, she wasn't going to the bathroom even after she had gone to the vet, you know, they made her get rid of some of the stuff, but then it was like, I was like, okay, you know, but but she's finally come back to her old self. So whatever was going on, it's all fine now. So that's okay. good. Well, that's really worrying. Yeah, no, that was, yeah. Cause I was like, man, I, I, <laughs> you know, I don't know what to do. And then that was saying like, yeah, I mean, like if, if it continues for another day, take her to the hospital. And I was just thinking, oh my God, how much is that going to cost? You know, cause then that they're talking about like, we'll have to do like either getting her to drink a barium mixture and try to see like what What's going on inside or doing like exploratory surgery to see if there's anything in there and i'm like those both sound expensive and not very good so dude yeah no crazy expensive 
Yeah, so um, thankfully that didn't happen because, yeah. And she's a fairly young cat. I mean, I think she's five years old now. And so, you know, I mean, I don't want her to be having serious medical issues now. I mean, it's like, come on. She's, she's not an old cat, you know, so she's okay now. So that's good. I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just kind of same old, same old. Um, one exciting bit of news, I guess, is that for the 42 cast, I am going to interview Skylar Samuels, who was one of the characters in The Gifted. And, you know, it's kind of like I'm slowly upticking on, like, you know, the, the 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 guests that I can get on the on the show, you know, as far as, like, star power and visibility and stuff like that so that's pretty exciting yeah yeah so you know yeah don't mind me i just threw grumpy at you that's all (laughs) hey grumpy is cool grumpy (laughs) was very cool and he was very cool talking about like acting and his methods for acting and his thought process and he got like really deep you know and i I really liked that like you know that that's where that one went because i never know because i don't know these people before i talk to them (laughs) i never know where it's gonna go i'm always worried that somebody's gonna give me like one word answers and it's gonna be like okay that was all my questions and it's been (laughs) 10 minutes very nice you know (laughs) no no who have i thrown at you aaron and lee i think are my two people i I gave you uh yeah lee Ehrenberg is is yeah uh, and then aaron mc didn't i throw aaron mcdonald at you uh, you might Dr. have, Aaron. but he might not have been in anything that I'd seen. No, 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 not, not, not a he, she, the scientist. Oh, Aaron, Aaron. Oh, I'm sorry. I, th- I heard Aaron. Yeah, Aaron. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, yes. Aaron was very good. Yes, also, yes. That's right. I, I use my connections for you. Yes, thank you very much. <laughs> you can't see it, but I'm rubbing my hands together like the best Romulan ever. <laughs> yeah, no, Erin was great because she's actually come back on the show for panel discussions too. So, um, which is awesome. Yeah, which is which is really awesome. So, yeah, I I am very glad you connected me with Erin because you know she's just she's a geek, but just with a PhD. So you right. know. <laughs> So yeah, she's a lot of fun. But yeah, so if you're listening to this and you haven't checked out the 42 cast, go check out the 42 cast because we do panel discussions on just about everything and we do interviews. So yeah, but anyway. Anyway. (laughs) Moving right along. So I was curious because one of the things, you know, before we talk about like the nitty gritty on this one, one of the things I was kind of wondering about is that, you know, in this country, we're not really taught much about the French Revolution, like in regular school, unless you're like specializing in history or whatever, like it's kind of like mentioned, you know, but we kind of don't really spend a lot of time in it. And it's definitely this story was presented in such a way that it's like they expect you to know what's going on. They don't like explain to you who Robespierre is or what the French are, you know, it's just like... Like they instantly know, you know, and they don't, they don't hold the audience's hand on that. So I was going to ask you if, you, you know, like what you knew about the French Revolution before you watched this, but you uh, kind of, in when we were messaging each other, you told me that uh, you are a fan of the uh, Scarlet Pimpernel, right? Dude, first of all, I, I love French revolutions, plural, because, wow, they're just crazy. Those mm. people rise up and fall constantly. And the reign of terror is particularly fascinating. But yes, I'm a huge Scarlet Pimpernel fan. <laughs> I am a fan of the BBC. Like there was a BBC show mm-hmm. with Richard E. Grant being the Pimpernel. And it was brilliant and I loved it. Mm-hmm. There was um, a musical that I'm a huge fan of. In fact, I'm friends with somebody who was a, on the original concept album, which was neat. Mm-hmm. And the book, I know there are multiple books. I've actually 
only gotten my hands on the first one. Mm. And it's not that long. It's a really easy read and it's brilliant. I just love the whole fictional character and the setting and everything. Very cool. Yeah, no, like what I understand of the concept, it sounds pretty cool. Kind of like a, like a, like a superhero kind of character in the French Revolution, which uh, you know, is kind of cool. Yeah, it was just so neat. Mm. So yes, I when, when I saw the title Reign of Terror, I didn't immediately connect it to the Reign of Terror because, I mean, this is Doctor Who. They know right. these yes. episodes pretty intensely. For all I knew, this, you know, I don't even know. It was a spy. It could have been a spider. It could have been the reign of a terror spider for all I knew. <laughs> but when I realized that they were in France, I was like, oh, it's that reign of terror. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> Good. I was like, yeah. are we going to see Robespierre? Are we going to know all this? Where are we at in the reign of terror? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I like I think they they do a pretty good job of making it fairly low key and just being like, you should know this stuff already until like the only time it gets a little too much of the OK kids at home pay attention is when they go out of their way to say like things like July 27th, 1794 is going to go down in history. You know, like it's like, OK, guys, <laughs> now you're trying to be a little too much like, OK, kids, listen up. This is a date for your history test, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah, and actually, I don't know if you remember this because it was so low-key, but in the very first story, in An Unearthly Child, Susan gets a book on the French Revolution. I hadn't remembered that. Yeah, and that's like that's what Barbara talks to her about when they're back at the school before they uh, they leave and they go to the junkyard. So she lends Susan a book on the French Revolution. So it's kind of like this idea of going to this time period was sort of percolating from the very beginning. I blame Ian's pen light for making me forget because I was so focused on that. <laughs> yes, the infamous pen light. <laughs> I don't let go of things. This just doesn't happen. Yeah. So, and this is our second one that has some parts missing, but unlike Marco Polo, it's only uh, two episodes in the middle uh, rather than the whole thing. But the sad thing on this one is that we don't have any of the telesnaps for the two episodes that are missing. So the reconstruction that I sent you is basically them using Photoshop, you know, to create sort of create, like cut out the characters and sort of paste them into backgrounds to sort of tell the story. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, they do a pretty good job. And that that one that I sent you is like um, the most because several different groups have done uh, the reconstructions and that's the most recent one. And it's got the most, you know, the most going on, you know. And they were also able to find where uh, one of the people on the set. So if you notice, there are a few cases where you saw like very brief, like few second long, like little clips. Mm -hmm. One of the people on the set um, was taking like home camera, you know, like the kind that you crank with your hand, yeah. you know, kind of thing. Like he was, he was taking some videos while he was there and he, he came forward a few years back and donated all of that. So that's why there's that flicker. Cause it's like the hand crank kind of camera where, you know, it depends on how you're cranking your hand, like how like it does the video. And that's why it wasn't quite synced up properly, but at least that way we're able to see a little bits and pieces of both those episodes. Hmm. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. So it's nice. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy how much like effort people put into recovering even the smallest amount of like material uh, for Dr. Doctor Who, but uh, it's good because it helps us, you know, experience the story to the best of the best that we can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's uh, let's go on to episode one, A Land of Fear. <laughs> See? Names of the episodes. <laughs> so if we recall from last time, the Doctor was going to kick Ian and Barbara off the TARDIS. Oh yeah, no, he was upset with Ian. Yeah, but this time he says like, yeah, I'm going to kick you guys off, but I got you home. <laughs> 
He's not even going to check. They're just in a field. There are some trees. <laughs> We're just going to assume this is the right time and place. The doctor does not care. Mm-hmm. Well, he wasn't even going to check that. Like, he was just going to open the doors and let have them go out. Like, but the end's like, uh, we're not going anywhere until we, you know, take, do the checks. And the doctor acts affronted that Ian would even question his ability. And it's so funny because it's like, um, you failed every single time. <laughs> <laughs> But, and the doctor even says like oh you know maybe we've had like a minor fault once or twice but you know oh my gosh it is crazy yeah but yeah they're just in an empty field basically and they're like well it could be earth you know could maybe be anywhere and susan though is really broken up about this whole thing oh yeah she like attacks them with hugs like these are violent hugs right <laughs> but of course ian is still a little hesitant he's still a little worried about it because even if it is earth it could be the wrong time whatever and so he does this great thing where he's like, well, doctor, you know, of course you've gotten us home because you're just the greatest and you're always right. You know what I mean? Barbara it's- like brush off his jacket as they're busy flattering him. <laughs> yes. And, but Ian's like, look, you're going to be real. Like, I'm sure you could come visit us whenever you want. And the doctor's like, oh yeah, yeah. But Ian's like, but you're so busy. You might never do it. Shouldn't we like part under better circumstances, like over a drink or something? And it's so good. Cause then the doctor's like, well, okay. You know, that sounds fine and so that he he goes with them and of course susan comes too but i just really love that that ian's like at this point ian's like clued into the doctor so well and he just knows this is how we keep him from leaving and we have our way out we'll just like flatter him like so much (laughs) (laughs) but once they go out well first thing um barbara notices that there aren't like any like lights or anything like you can't see street lights or anything but then yeah they hear this crashing sound and ian goes into the woods to see what it is and he comes back holding this like really dirty scruffy looking kid with like hair that's all wild and everything oh yeah no that was some hair yeah and um the kid tells them that they're in france and the doctor's like oh well it's not that big of a deal i mean france you're like 100 miles from home right like just 100 miles out you know he's like and when you're traveling through space i mean that's actually really accurate you know but yeah ian's like yeah if space is the only thing we're off by but the kid gets away at that point because they stop paying attention to him so they're not able to ask him any more questions i mean and he's a slippery little fellow yes but he seemed really frightened. That was the other thing. So they don't know what he was scared about. But yeah, he got away. Uh, and so then he runs out to this um, abandoned farmhouse that they see in the distance. And uh, just from everything she's seen, Barbara thinks that they're in the past. And Ian's instantly like, all right, this is it. Let's just go back. <laughs> <laughs> like, I it. know how this goes. <laughs> But the doctor's like, nonsense, it was your idea to explore. (laughs) Which I love. I I love Dennis Spooner, who wrote this, was Mm -hmm. a stand-up comedy writer originally. And you can kind of tell with like a lot of like the the interplay in this story that he is like sort of, you know, he's he's used to comedy. Yeah. So even though this is a really dark and sort of depressing like setting and everything, there are these cute character interactions all throughout the story, you know, that, that are really good and really kind of snappy mm-hmm. and, and I really like that oh but the thing is once the doctor and Susan start going off towards the farmhouse Ian and Barbara hang back a little bit and one of the things that they talk about is that Ian's like uh, you know even though he doesn't think that they're you know they're back home he says that strangely enough he's not upset 
And yeah. so we're kind of getting to the part now where Ian and Barbara are finally kind of embracing the adventure side of traveling with the doctor. He's come a long way because he had some crazy denial. He was very right. much in denial the entire first episode. <laughs> right. But but yeah, so this is kind of like when we make the transition there because, you know, I mentioned before that a lot of the, the early stories are just about them wanting to get back home. But now we're kind of getting to the part where, hey, this is fun. And, uh, and so getting home becomes, it's never something that they give up on, but it's becoming less of a thing of every time of just like, are we home yet? Mm-hmm. Are we home yet? You know, they they enter the farmhouse, and even though I said it was abandoned, they don't know that. And I just you know, feel it was kind of odd that they just like start walking around inside this place without like knocking on any doors or anything. It's just kind of like, yeah, we'll just barge in here, right? <laughs> We know because the moment that they say they're in France and it connects, ah, France, reign of terror, scruffy looking kid. Yeah, mm. I'm sitting here going, this is not a good time to go search in places. Y'all do not need to be looking different. You don't need to be speaking <laughs> differently. You need to be gone. Yeah. But yeah, they're just looking around. They find like a locked door, but then they, you know, find another room and the doctor goes upstairs to, to look around. And in the room that Ian, Barbara, and Susan are in, there's candles, clothes, food wine, maps, daggers, and uh, official documents with the names left blank. Yeah, this is a safe house. Right, exactly. And that's what they realize. And when Ian sees the name Robespierre on the documents, it finally clicks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, when, when they are. And so, yeah, it's the French Revolution. And, and for anyone listening to this, because like I said, like in America, <laughs> this is not usually taught in, in regular school. Like, you know, maybe if you take like world history classes in, in uh, college or whatever, you know, you get you get more on this. But Robespierre was kind of like the lead guy with the whole like, let's execute everybody stuff in the reign of terror. Yeah, uh, when the French Revolution. Also point out that the French Revolution like was a long period of time and had mm-hmm. like peaks and valleys. Like it started so sometime around like 1789 I think mm-hmm. and the reign of terror didn't start until like 1792 I believe 1793 yes somewhere in there and it ended in 1794 yes right yeah I, uh, yeah I, I believe you're right it lasted only like a couple of years but yeah it was basically Robespierre saw traitors everywhere everywhere and, and so like accusations were like they, like you know you didn't get trials and stuff where they, they did trials quote-unquote but like basically if you were accused you were guilty didn't they like guillotine like sixteen thousand people it was a big number like yeah i mean it, it, it was a lot of people also i'm just going to point this out to our listeners it is pronounced guillotine it is French. <laughs> yes yes <laughs> But yeah, and the French Revolution, I feel like I should go even further back. That's basically when the um, when the people overthrew the royalty, the nobility of France. Right. And it, it had it had bits and pieces. I'm sure everybody's familiar with Les Mis. That was a portion of the French Revolution. It's set during a portion of the French Revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly enough, the Paris Opera House, a lot of it was, uh, the construction of it was halted during part of the French Revolution. Mm. Uh, strange things when you're a fan of the opera fan, you learn a lot of timelines. <laughs> I'm also a big Les Mis fan, so yes, I history. Ooh. Right, yeah, yeah. My wife is such a huge fan of the opera. She even got the book, like the original book that it's based off of, so that she could read that, and, oh, and yeah. she got a lot more background information from reading that. Your wife and I are probably going to have to talk, because I'm going to have to ask her if she's read like my favorite Phantom novel, which I don't want to get into right now, okay, because that all right. relates <laughs> to nothing on our podcast. <laughs> 
But I do want to say that, man, when Barbara's like the reign of terror, she's got this half smile on her face. Like she's all like, ooh, this is interesting. And I'm like, no, Barbara, no, no. (laughs) Well, it's kind of been romanticized, right? Like we already talked about the Scarlet Pimpernel. Like the reign of terror in some ways is sort of seen as like this sort of dangerous time period, but there were, you know, exciting adventures to be had there kind of thing in fiction. So maybe that's part of it, you know. Les Les Mis started in uh, 1815, so it was like the next French Revolution. Mm. Gotta love it. I mean, romanticized. I'm sorry. You can romanticize all you want, and don't (laughs) get me wrong, I do. (laughs) But I have no desire to ever go near a guillotine if I'm the one who's in chains. Mm-mm. Yeah, no, well, no, I mean, I agree with you. I'm just saying I think that was sort of like what the, what Barbara might have been going for. Because, she's yeah, like, we're I... not going to get in trouble. No one's going to hurt us. <laughs> oh, Barbara, I love you. Well, the odds, I mean, just wandering around one random field, you know, as long as they don't, like, hang out for a long time, the odds are you're not going to have a problem. It's just their luck is very bad. <laughs> <laughs> or the TARDIS is uh, particularly like mean to them, one right. or the other. <laughs> so yeah, while the doctor's searching the upstairs, though, somebody hits him on the back of the head. Uh, yeah, split the party, man. Yeah, but then Ian and Barbara and Susan decide that they're going to change into the clothes. Well, that's at least a good decision. Well, it's a good decision, but at least you're going to hang around. See, I, I still find that to be a little weird because I'm like, shouldn't they have just been like, hey, doctor, because they don't know he's been knocked out yet. Like, hey, doctor, we got to go. We're in the reign of terror. Let's just like head back to the TARDIS right now. Like, no, don't waste gonna, any time. We're going to play dress up with somebody's clothes. We don't know who they are. They might, we don't know, but we're yeah. going to play dress up and we're not going to check on the doctor. Yeah, although I do like that Ian and Barbara are sort of like checking each other out like after they've changed. It's kind of, mm-hmm. kind of like, how do I look? You know. Oh my gosh. So, but then Susan says that this is actually the Doctor's favorite period in history, which of course it is. I mean, why not? <laughs> there was a novel that I read once, which of course wasn't anything they were thinking about when they when, when this came out, but one of the original novels that isn't based on a story. And they tried to explain that as basically like when the Doctor first left Gallifrey, like this was was the first time he came to and it was just Mm -hmm. the fact that it was so different like instead of crazy imposed order of Gallifrey it was such a a time of change and you know people you know doing because you know the French Revolution wasn't all the reign of terror right you know definitely it was like two years of it right and so it was kind of like he he liked the excitement and the fact that like these people were able to change their society and stuff like that so you know I can kind of see like you know if you come from a very like well ordered and, and you know kind of repressive of society of going to a place where people are actually overthrowing their government and there's you know excitement about the future and stuff like that why that might be kind of like oh this is pretty cool yeah but the people didn't overthrow the government quite at that point i mean at that point everybody was a you could be a peasant and just suddenly be accused of suspicion of treason chop your head off no no i understand yeah and this is coming from the person who's who's all about the guillotine yeah yeah Uh, oh oh but so two men barge into the room that they're in at that point and they both have guns out and uh one of them's like let's kill them and the other one's like hey you know (laughs) let's find out who they are first once again small things they're in france it's got to be the tardis because obviously they're speaking they're not speaking french i mean barbara and ian but everybody's hearing each other i'm assuming in native french or english depending on what you hear it's just weird but you would think it would be very obvious from the way that they speak they are not french right not just accent but just not french 
they do kind of play around with that a little bit because it does seem like some people right away clue into the fact that they're not French, but others don't. So I don't know. Yeah, it, it seems a little inconsistent. But yeah, Ian says that they're just travelers. And the one guy says, well, is it just you three? And he says, yeah, it's just us because he's trying and to protect like, oh. the doctor. But he, they've already seen the doctor. They knocked him over the head. And so now they're like, well, you're, you're liars because we know there's a fourth person. Right. And they basically say, like, whose side are you on? <laughs> you know? In France, you got to be on one side or the other. And Barbara's like, well, we're not French, so we don't have a side. And I am shocked that worked. Because <laughs> the French did not like the English, especially in this time period. And so, and that's pointed out throughout, the, throughout this arc. Right. But, like, for these two guys, I guess because they're already on the run and everything, they're not too picky. <laughs> so, Well, they did say that eventually they were going to, everybody has to pick a side. Right. But that's what they do tell them. They're like, yeah, if you're going to stay in France, you, you need to pick a side. And a lot of French people did evacuate. They, like, people who were part of the nobility or were on their side did leave for England. You know, that was where they could be safe. I mean, that's, if you ever read A Tale of Two Cities, I mean, that's, you know, the whole story is, oh, I forget his name, Charles Darnay? Something like that. He he leaves from France to England. Ah. But, uh, and, and then it's him having to go back and then being, you know, accused and everything else that drives the whole story. But then, yeah, like when they're, while they're talking, the, the some soldiers come up to the farmhouse and surround it. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the two men, I should say, they're named Rouvray and Darginson. But yeah, like, I think they do a really good job with like these soldiers of just making them look like the grittiest dirtiest like I mean they're basically just people who have been given a gun and told that they're soldiers now right they're not like a trained army or anything no they, they definitely look like conscripts right and, and so yeah they like talk back to the you know the officers they're you know talking about like ooh I can get a nobleman to my side like very very like nasty very you know kind of uncouth and like I said like their uniforms are all torn up and they look dirty and everything thing and so it's like they did do a good job of like kind of selling like the grittiness of the time period mm-hmm. I think and Darginson just starts panicking as soon as he looks out a window and sees the soldiers there like he's just like we're gonna die and, and you know I can't handle this but Rouvray like keeps his cool but the soldiers don't make any moves because they're they're basically trying to scare them to come out on their own right it just makes more sense that way right yeah why why go into somewhere where they might have traps you know set up or whatever um, let them come out but Darginson and basically runs outside because he's which he's stupid. yeah he's terrified then Rouvray comes out to try to save him and what? for a bit he actually like is holding the soldier's attention he's like stop don't do the you know hand me your gun and you know because he's like basically is like one of those like sort of imposing charismatic figures like at first everybody does stop and one of the soldiers does actually hand him his gun but then uh one of the other ones shoots him and the yeah. others run after Darginson and, and they kill him too. So so they're dead. So, so but yeah, then they decide to go looking in the farmhouse just to see if they can find anyone else. Because now let's go look. Right. <laughs> so they do find Ian, Barbara, and Susan and take them prisoner. But they don't look any further. Right. Hey, we've got three people here. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the thing is they don't kill them because they say like they want credit, right? Because they don't know who these people are. The other two they were sent after specifically. Uh, mm-hmm. They knew who they were chasing but they're like hey we got to see there might be an award reward for you know for getting these three and so they're going to bring them back to paris so that's why they just take them prisoner but they decide that they don't want this farmhouse to be used anymore as a safe house so they burn it as they're leaving like you do right 
and the doctor just starts waking up basically as the as the smoke is starting to come into the room that he's in and he tries to get out but the door is locked which i don't quite understand but sure i think maybe after they knocked him out they locked him in the room so that he wouldn't get up and, but that's the thing and that might be why the soldiers the soldiers might have searched all the house but they didn't care enough to like search the locked rooms because they're like we're just gonna burn this place down when we leave so despite the fact that it was locked from the outside yeah okay i mean back then could you tell if it was locked because i think the key the keyholes were the same on both sides and so if you just put a key in it was no way to tell if it was locked from the outside or the inside i mean just wondering so yeah so they burn it and so like as ian barbara and susan are being marched away they they look back and see that the farmhouse is burning and susan's worried about the doctor can't blame her and the doctor you know we cut back to him like the smoke is getting really bad and he's coughing and he starts sinking to the floor so it does not look too good for him no and so then they have this nice shot of the model farmhouse burning Like, I mean, to, to give them credit, I mean, like, the ceiling collapses and everything. It looks fairly good. I mean, I, I realize it's a model. It's kind of obviously it's a model, but... not as terrible as that tiny little, like, you know, clay TARDIS they had. Right. <laughs> and then they also have, like, this sort of, like, uh, I forget the name of the song, but it's the French National Anthem. And they, they play riffs on the French National Anthem throughout the whole serial. I don't know if you noticed that, but they have that... Dun, 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 you know? like kind Isn't of that La Marseille? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, yeah, sounds right. <laughs> well, the sad thing is I, I I'm predominantly French. <laughs> <laughs> I have, like, no, like, I've never really explored my heritage or anything about it. So it's like... Apparently. My, my mother, my mother, she she's so funny. She, you know, like, she's multi-generation, you know, American. But she acts like she's, like, first-generation immigrant. <laughs> but I've never cared about any of it. So I don't... <laughs> I don't oh, my gosh. But but yes, it is a big piece of pride for my mother that she is 100% French. That's awesome. Yeah. Then she ruined it, though, by marrying my dad. So <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but what do you think of the music in this one? Because like, it, it's kind of like, like the doctor gets his own like sort of like little jaunty theme, you know, that they have through it. They play bits of the, you know, the French national anthem and it's kind of, you know, it's a little more whimsical maybe than, than some of the themes we've had in the power the music we've had in the past. So what, what did you think about it? I mean, I comment on it later on in later episodes okay. when it's much more obvious and such, but I actually didn't think it was bad mm-hmm. in some ways, at least especially in later episodes, I felt like they were juxtaposing a very jaunty theme over horrible things, right. which I love in movies anyway. So it's cool. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that was our cliffhanger though, is the house burning and the doctor sort of collapsed on the ground in the room. And then we go to episode two, Guests of Madame Guillotine. And so something you might not have noticed for this one and the next one is because they hit it better in this one than they did in any of the other ones. This was Ian's two weeks on vacation, William Russell. I didn't notice. They hit it very well. So what they did is they pre-filmed scenes with him in jail that they then played in during the second and third episode. Nice. But that's why, though, when they're when they have their quote unquote trial, which, you know, is just like the two seconds of the guy basically saying you are in the company of traitors, therefore your traitors will be executed. You never saw Barbara, Susan and Ian in the same shot. 
I wondered, but I just figured it was because they were separating the men and the women. For the most of it, you see Barbara and Susan, but then like they cut over really quickly to Ian. It even looks like the lighting and everything is different for the Ian show. Right. <laughs> it's just like, okay, this doesn't look quite right. But then after that, he is separated from the two of them. So then it's, you know, that's fine because he's in a different cell. It actually starts out though with first like a, a drawing of Paris and then a guillotine actually like falling down and you hear the chop and the roar of the crowd. It was a nice uh, opening. Yeah. But yeah, then they're they're basically told that they're going to be guillotined as soon as possible and they have no rights and, you know, no way to appeal or argue their case or anything. And so then they're marched away. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yep. Uh, so Ian's put in the cell first and then uh, Susan and Barbara are going to share a cell, but um, they put in Susan first and then the jailer takes Barbara to the side and is basically like, well, you know, you might want a friend here. You know, like, I get kind of lonely, and it would be really great to have some company. Why does Barbara always get, like, hit on by creepy dudes? <laughs> well, think about it. Barbara's actually bathed. You That's know, true. she probably already smells and looks better than most of the women that this guy has ever seen. So. And he's over there calling himself an intelligent man. And right. Like, oh. <laughs> so when she hauls off and slaps him, mm. yes. Yeah, because, I mean, the weird thing about the Jailer is for most of the story, not in this first scene with him, but for most of the story, we're supposed to see him as this sort of funny, bumbling kind of guy. But in this scene, it's like, there's no, I mean, like, he he sets himself up as a really nasty piece of work. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he kind of, like, hints that he could, like, let her go if she, she gives him favors, but... Most likely, he's just in it for getting his favors, and then she would still end up in the guillotine anyway, so it's kind of like, he, he's he's a really skeezy person. Definitely. Yeah, and Susan complains about how bad it smells. <laughs> I'm like, what did you expect a jail to smell like? I mean, I've never been in jail, you know, but, but I expect even modern j- jails smell pretty bad. Right? Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, Barbara's like, yeah, it reminds me of when we were prisoners in the cave in the Stone Age. But then Susan's like, yeah, the main difference, though, is that we don't have Ian and Grandfather with us. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Barbara assures her, though, that she's, you know, the doctor would have gotten out of the house. But I don't think she's really so sure. She's just trying to comfort Susan. But thankfully, then we cut to the doctor lying on the ground outside the house. It's our crazy-haired waif who looks like he stuck a fork in an electrical socket. <laughs> right. Yeah, he's the one that saved him. Although... It's funny that they don't show that because I do wonder how that little kid dragged him out, uh, you know, of a burning house, you know, (laughs) but okay. Just accept it and move on. Right. And the kid tells him, though, that the the other three were captured and were taken off to Paris. And uh, and he tells the doctor, though, that they, you know, his mom could give him food if he goes back to, you know, the house with him. But the doctor's like, no, 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 I got to save my friends. And so then he goes off you know, to look for uh, Ian and Barbara and Susan in Paris. And we get our very first location shots in the entire series. <laughs> Where, by that I mean, like, they're outdoor, right. you know, uh, shots instead of being in a studio that's been made to look like it's outdoors. And actually, though, the funny thing is that's not even the doctor. That's not a William Hartnell actually walking. Oh, my gosh. It's, uh, it's another guy because, you know, he's busy with rehearsals and everything. And, you know, we already talked about how crazy their schedule was to get their show made. And so they couldn't afford the time to have him leave and do these shots out in the country. So they actually got another doctor or another actor to shadow him. Huh. To get his walk down. 
And then they took that guy out into the country and filmed all those little sequences of the doc. Because we cut to the doctor walking down the road, you know, all these country roads and stuff, like several times during the next couple of episodes. Mm-hmm. Also, I want to point out this was my first actual comment on the music of the fact that now the doctor gets some cute traveling music while everyone else is locked up awaiting death. <laughs> right. Yeah, it is, it's such a jaunty little theme they give to the doctor. Yeah. <laughs> And we go back to the cell with Barbara and Susan and Susan is depressed because she thinks her grandfather's dead and Barbara's trying to reassure her and it's basically like, look, we've gotten out of all kinds of situations before where it looked like we were going to die and Susan's like, well, that was just luck. Mm-hmm. But Barbara, being the awesome person Barbara is, is like, we make our own opportunities. See, you go, Barbara. Then she finds this loose stone in the wall and I still want to know what she really, like, I have to wonder, was she just trying to keep Susan busy and keep her mind off of it? Because if you look at the size of those stones, even if they could get it out there's no way they're squeezing through one stone out of the wall i think that she was hoping if she could get w- one of them out it would loosen a few of the others around there or at least and allow the, or at least allow them to chip away and make an opening big enough for them to get into the sewer mm, okay yeah because that was the thing i was looking at that and i was like okay barbara you might get that stone out but <laughs> if you're not gonna fit through yeah so they start like trying to like chisel it out basically they break up the bed to try to make like a crowbar and they're they're working at it but meanwhile the jailer puts another guy in ian's cell uh his name is webster and he's really badly hurt um he's dying oh yeah but webster recognizes right away that ian is english also maybe it was the glaringly white shirt that gave him away it was way too clean (laughs) that's true like it was white that's true yes ian uh because we already said like they all change into the clothes that they found ian's wearing one of those very frilly (laughs) shirts with the ruffly collar and the and the 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 ends that are like doily sleeve ends I don't know what that's called, but it always makes me think of a doily basically sewn onto the end of the sleeve. But so yeah, he tells Ian, like, look, I'm dying, but I've got to tell somebody. And since you are English also, I'm going to trust you that there's this spy here named James Sterling. I was supposed to meet him because he was gathering information about France to take back to England because one day France is going to make war on England again. So we want to know as much as we can about the situation here. Mm-hmm. So he, he makes Ian promise that he's going to find this James Sterling. And he tells them that he needs to find this other guy named Jules Renan and that that guy will help him find him. And he also tells him find Lichien Gris. I think <laughs> close. I don't know. <laughs> that find that the sign of Lichien Gris, you know, and then he dies. So he's not able to tell Ian anything else. (laughs) So a lot to go on there. Yeah, there was a ton. We're going to get to this again in episode six. But like when they reveal like what Webster's original plan was, it's I'm just like, what? (laughs) (laughs) But we'll get to that. As the doctor's walking, he finds like this work gang that's working on clearing the road. And there's this overseer guy that's, you know, berating them, yelling, work harder, work harder, you know, like he tells the doctor, like, oh, they're just a bunch of like filthy tax dodgers. I got to watch them every second because they're slacking off. And like, I got to keep the schedule or, you know, they're going to kill me. He says that, but he'll get it done if he's going to drive every single one of them into the ground. And the doctor basically is like, hey, can I give you a little bit of advice? And the guy's like, sure, if it's going to get the work done. And he's like, if you spend more energy helping them instead of bawling and shouting at them, then you might get somewhere. We know exactly what's going to happen at that moment. Right. 
Because the guy gets really mad when the doctor says that. He, he says, like, I suppose you must think you're very clever. And the doctor says, well, without any undue modesty, yes. <laughs> but yeah, the guy's like, okay, well, where are your papers? And of course, the doctor doesn't have any papers. Well, so he's not. like, oh, no way to prove that you've paid your taxes. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, he, he basically has the doctor join the work gang. And he's given a pick. And he says, like, don't even, the, the overseer says, don't even think about running away because I've got a gun. Of course, it's one of those old guns that only has one shot. <laughs> I think about that and I'm like, you know... <laughs> You might be able to do something with that. But oh well, the doctor doesn't do anything with No, that. he just starts yeah. digging. Yeah, he starts digging. But yeah, so we go back to Barbara. And I'm glad that they include this detail because so often in shows, they make it seem like it's so easy to like do this kind of stuff, like chiseling away at stone and stuff. Like Barbara's like, my hands are being like torn apart. Okay, no, no. We're going to stop right here. First off, there's bedding. Second of off, they're wearing how many layers of clothing and none, neither of them thought as their hands started to hurt, maybe I should rip off part of the stupid underdress that I'm wearing and mm. wrap it around my hands or this thing. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I mean, they're sitting there on bedding. They're wearing, I mean, they are wearing lots of layers. No one's going to notice a missing petticoat. Mm-hmm. That's true. I have no sympathy for them. For that. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, basically the problem is both Barbara and Susan are trying to take turns, but both of them are getting their hands messed up because of, you know, what they're doing. And then the jailer comes in, they're worried that they're going to get found out because they put the blankets on the floor to cover up what they're doing. But, and then he's mad because the blankets are on the floor and he's like, well, you don't, you know, I'm not, you don't get spare blankets. I'm just going to take these if you don't want them. If you're going to just leave them on the floor. But, I'm responsible for this. Right. But before he's able to grab them, a guy starts yelling for him and he leaves the room. And so Barbara and Susan are kind of relieved because they weren't found out. No, but then Susan hears rats. Yeah, yeah, that happens in the next time we cut back. But yes, okay. yeah, she jumps up on the bed and is... Uh, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> because that's so much more terrifying than the guillotine. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> But but yeah, so we cut back to Ian's cell now, and this guy enters named Lamette. He looks at Webster, and he looks at Ian, and he asks Ian, did he say anything to you? And Ian says, nope. And he gets kind of, like, upset about it. You know, mm-hmm. like, he puts pushes Ian against the wall and, like is basically like, tell me if he said something to you. And Ian's like, he didn't say anything. So Lamette leaves and he talks to the jailer because that was the guy who was yelling for the jailer. And he says, did he talk to the other guy? And the jailer says, yeah, I heard them saying something. I didn't hear what they said, but they definitely talked, but not for long. And so Lamette knows that Ian was lying. So he goes over to his execution list and he crosses out Ian's name off the list. Mm-hmm. But yeah, then we have our scene of Susan jumping on the bed because she sees rats. And the thing is, Barbara gives up at the same time. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, like she starts comforting Susan. She's like, it's all right. We're not. I mean, I think maybe it's like Barbara realized at this point it's kind of hopeless, you know, like because they weren't making like enough progress or whatever. And so that's probably why. They also stuffed what, a cloth blanket against the wall. She's like, oh, they're not going to come through here. Obviously, yeah. Barbara has never seen the things that rats will chew through. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, I think I think we're back to the whole idea of when Susan is in primitive times, Susan just loses her mind. Yeah. Because in the sense, right, Susan was just like, I'm going to confront these people. I can do anything. And then like suddenly, like now we're in the reign of terror and we're like way back (laughs) to Susan being like scared of everything. It's kind of sad. So yeah, now we're back to the doctor on the road. (laughs) 
and he comes up with this great idea because he sees that the the overseer is constantly counting his money mm-hmm. and he's like all right do, do any of you have money like to the other workers and they're like if we had money do you think we'd be here right. and so then he comes up with this great plan so he gets the over like he's like oh an eclipse an eclipse and like everybody's like standing around like oh eclipse and the overseer's like what what are you talking about and they're like it's an eclipse the, the moon's gonna cover the sun and it's gonna get dark real soon and he's like oh yeah, yeah i know what you're talking about and while they've got the guy looking up to see like the equipment that's about to happen the doctor's stealing from his coin pouch oh he he thinks he's so clever (laughs) this is good and so then he like once the overseer walks away because he's like get back to work we'll see it when it happens the doctor starts dropping the money on the ground he kind of covers it with some dirt and then he pretends like as he's digging he's like oh look i found a coin and, and oh look there's another one and the overseer's like running over and the doctor's like there, there must be some treasure here or something so the guy's like get back everybody just get back i'm it's gonna dig <laughs> i love this and and if that isn't enough though once the guy starts like bending over to start digging the doctor grabs a shovel it's all about the dude because we don't see the hit with the shovel right. all we see is this one worker's face as he scrunches yeah. his eyes, and then we hear a thud. <laughs> and the doctor's making the most of these. One of those things where, like, he spits in his hands and rubs them, grabs yeah. the shovel, and then he just, like, hits the guy with the head. And uh, they make sure that we know the, the overseer isn't dead because we hear him snoring. Yeah, you but, know, so but he's just knocked out. The rest of the work gang just scarfers. They're gone. Right, yes. They, they, they run off. And the doctor actually takes two of the coins and puts them on the eyes of the I guy. Was like, as if he's dead? Yes, as if he's dead. <laughs> oh, and then we go back to cheery travel music. Right, that's right. And he just walks off. And I'm thinking like, and the sad thing is, even though the doctor didn't kill this guy, he kind of killed this guy because if like it really is like a situation, like if he doesn't get the work done in time, they're going to kill him. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and all his workers got away. He's probably going to be executed. <laughs> So the doctor kind of killed him, I think. Just a bit. But yeah, then the jailer takes Barbara and Susan out and puts them in a line of people and they're being taken away. Or as they're going, they ask like, well, what about Ian? And he's like, oh, is that your friend? Well, he's lucky because he was crossed off the execution list. And so, yeah, basically the episode ends with Ian looking out of the window of his cell and he's like, Barbara, you know, as as he's the carriage with them is going off. And that's the cliffhanger for the episode. (gasps) Oh. So things don't look too bad or too good, especially since, uh, like I told you, they were thinking of uh, getting rid of Susan and Barbara about this time <laughs> in the show. So. I mean, this was cutting it a little close. All right. And then just chop their heads off. <laughs> we'll just move on. But episode three is called A Change of Identity. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go with it. Yeah. We open up with these two guys standing in an alleyway, basically. One's named Jean and the other one is Jules. And they're basically talking about like, hey, like the horse, you know, the, the it's not a carriage. It's it's called a tumbrel. It's like one of those open cart things that people like uh, that you could put people on as you're, you know, hitched to a horse. Right. But yeah, like, like, like the, you know, it hasn't arrived yet. Usually it's here by now. And um, Jules is worried. I'm sorry, Jean is worried that maybe they're taking a different route this time. But Jules is like, no, 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 they're going to go the same way. And so the, we just have to wait. But then we go back to the jailer and he's trying to take Ian's food to him and he gets the key into the lock and is trying to turn it when LeMate starts calling for him. And then he can't pull the key out of the lock. How has and nobody so- overpowered this guy yet? Yeah, I know. <laughs> he's such a buffoon. So he runs off 
you know, because his hands were full also. So he's trying to like juggle the food in his hands with the key. And he's like, all right. And so he just leaves the key in the door. And, you know, that would probably have been okay. But whoever designed these doors made the bars wide enough that you can stick your arm (laughs) through. An adult male can stick his arm through the bars and down to the lock. And Ian doesn't even seem like an, an ex- like he would have exceptionally long arms or anything. He's right. very average size. Yeah, it's like, all right, people, if you're ever designing bars, make them too narrow for someone to put their arms through. Or at least I mean, put the little tiny window up higher where you're definitely not going to be able to reach an arm through to down to the keyhole. Well, I mean, when you put a when you put bars on a door, it's so that the person on the outside can look in. Oh. So you kind of want it at a level where somebody's eyes can sort of naturally be. So I get that part. Have a stool. We're not all the size of Napoleon. <laughs> Uh, but yeah if you just make the bars a little narrower so <laughs> that bad. works too but yeah so he leaves the, so of course ian reaches his arm down pulls the keychain out now thankfully he's smart enough not to just try and be like oh i'm gonna unlock the door and walk out right now what he does is he takes his own key off of it puts it, the keychain back with one of the other keys just sort of half in the lock mm-hmm. and keeps his key and then, yeah, Lemate's just talking to the jailer about how they need, like, execution figures or whatever, and they take care of that. But then when the jailer finishes talking with Lemate, he's like, oh, crap. You know, like, he's patting his, his, his you know, his sides for where the keychain should be, and he's like, and so he runs back. And then when he, he sees the keychains there, he's relieved. Oh, and Lemate, like, got mad at one point and threw the food bowl, so he doesn't have the food to give to Ian at this point. So he just takes the keychain out and walks off thinking that nothing happened. Also, Ian's really calm for having just watched Barbara and Susan be carted away for execution. That's true. Just saying. Yeah. So yeah, then we have um, Susan and Barbara in the tumbrel. We have a horse actually on set, which is the first live animal ever in Doctor Who. Fun I was fact. wondering, I was like, have I seen an animal before? Nope. That's the first one. Neat. Oh, and now Susan, I like lost all respect for her in this episode. Yeah. Right yeah. here. Yeah, when Barbara asks, says, like, they need to be ready to, like, make a run for it and get oh, out. And, like, Susan's hurts. just like, yeah, I have too bad of a headache. My back hurts. <laughs> and I'm sitting here going while I'm, like, taking these notes. I have a migraine right now. You can do this, Susan. Right. It's like, how do you think your head's going to feel when it's detached from your body? Probably a lot better. <laughs> right. not going to have any pain. Right. <laughs> oh god yeah no it, it gets a bit much i'm gonna comment on that a little bit later on but i try to salvage this with an explanation but yeah yeah this yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah but then the horse throws at one of its shoes and so they have to stop and conveniently it's right where jules and jean are waiting so like while the guards are busy like unhitching the horse and going to get another horse there's only like three people left guarding them i think so then Jules and John run out and we have our action-packed firefight. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and so they kill the guards and the other people, like, I don't see what happened to the other people that were on the tumbrel with Susan and Barbara. Suddenly they're all gone. And uh, they, they, I guess they just made a run for it. I mean, can you blame them? Yeah, that's true. I mean, they, they I mean, they're probably from Paris, so they probably know where they're going. They, uh, Jules and John rescue Barbara and Susan and lead them away. 
Then the doctor finally gets to Paris and he goes to a clothing shop and the tailor is just like, again, it's one of those things where it's like every time you think like this is getting like just sort of silly fun, like they kind of remind you like how messed up this time period is because the sailor, the tailor is like, did you see the executions today? Like this is like some party, like this is some fun thing to just go watch the executions. You know immediately this dude's a snitch. Yeah. Easily. He is happy. It's probably how he makes a fair amount of his money well yeah because he's even like yeah i consider it my duty to watch like every single one of them like it's a rare thing for me to miss any executions yeah the doctor is just like well you know as as, you know i'm a visitor here i just arrived can you confirm for me that uh that new prisoners are taken to the conciergerie prison and then the guy says yeah and so the doctor knows where he needs to go but then (laughs) So the doctor sees this sash that's (laughs) hanging there and he's like, oh, this looks really nice. And the guy is like, well, yeah, it's it's like uh, the sash that denotes a regional officer of the provinces. And the doctor's like, what a coincidence. That's exactly what I am. (laughs) I just love like the audaciousness. Yeah, no, he's going to go with it. I know. (laughs) Yeah, that's me. But then also he knows he's going to need clothes that sort of fit with the time period. So he offers to trade what he's wearing for uh, one of the outfits that the tailor has in his shop. And the tailor's like, well, your clothes are kind of strange. I don't think I could really get anything for them. And the doctor's like, well, do you sell anything like these clothes? And he's like, no. And he's like, well, maybe that's why you've never had anyone ask for them is because you haven't sold them or you don't have them in here. I mean, and honestly, who knows what these clothes are actually made of? Yeah, well, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I mean, I do sort of get the argument because that happened to me once when I was working for a company because I was basically like, your competitor that I also worked for does X, Y, and Z. And it's like, well, our customers never asked for that. And I'm like, yeah, and that's probably why your competitor is getting all the business, you know? Right. (laughs) Because they know that they sell it and you don't. Oh, God. Sometimes people do have very narrow thinking. But the guy's like, I don't know. It's still not quite enough. Right. And so then he asked the doctor to give his ring also. Now, I was a little wondering because I've seen the doctor wear this ring this entire time. Because I'm pretty sure I've seen it. Otherwise, my brain just assumed that he's been wearing Mm -hmm. it. I'm like, how valuable is this ring? And then the doctor slides it off his finger. I'm like, obviously, not that valuable. More on that later. (laughs) The ring is actually uh, important sometimes uh so oh, really? yeah it's actually more than just uh just a normal ring see that's cool but i mean at the same time though he's also looking at getting susan back and you know ian and barbara too uh, so i right. guess he feels like it's not as important as their lives which is yeah. good <laughs> i think it's mainly susan he's worried about yeah no I, that's why i said susan and ian and barbara too right <laughs> But yeah, so again, I just love that whole interchange because the doctor, it's again, it's one of those just sort of fun sort of things of he, he uses logic to sort of talk people into like goofy things. And yeah, and so the doctor says, okay, I'll give you the ring, but you also have to give me some parchment and, and something to write with too. Yes. And we find out later what the doctor does is basically like write his own, pa- like forge his own papers. <laughs> Because he's the doctor. Because he's the doctor. I know. I just love it. But yeah, but I'm thinking the whole time, like, how does the doctor not realize that the tailor is going to think that this is super suspicious? Like, you might be getting away with it, quote unquote, but this guy is going to, like, snitch on you as soon as you leave the room. Total overconfidence. Yeah. It's the doctor. Right. (laughs) This is a doctor who does not think that he's going to get sick or anything from smoking strange alien plant weed. Yeah. Goes off by himself sabotages the TARDIS. That that event was so traumatic, though. He never smokes anything ever again, so... (laughs) 
but yeah, so um, Jules and John bring Susan and Barbara to, uh, to, to basically a safe house that they have. Jules' sister, Danielle, is there, and so she helps, you know, like, she, she gets a bath ready for them, gets some food ready for them. Um, Jules says, like, we only deal in first names because, you know, it's safer that way if we're ever questioned. I cannot tell you how much I wanted one of them to say his name was Percy. That is the, <laughs> the Scarlet Pimpernel's real name. Yeah. But yeah, he says like, okay, we're, we're, we're going to feed you. We're going to clean you up. And then after you've gotten some rest, we'll smuggle you out of France. But they're like, whoa, we can't do that because, you know, Ian's still here and also Susan's grandfather. We don't even know if he's still alive. Right. They don't They don't know that he's still alive, but they're, they're going to pretend he is. Then we cut back to Ian's cell uh, where he calls for the jailer. And nobody shows up, so he realizes that, you know, this is the time to make his getaway. So he he gets the key, puts it down in the lock, he gets out, and he sneaks out. And as he sneaks out, though, he notices that the jailer is on the floor and was hit on the back of the head. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he just basically is like, okay, well, he's still breathing, he just moves on. But then later you see Lamette watching Ian. And then you realize, like, for some reason, he's the one that's knocked the jailer out to let Ian get away. So more on that later. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> Susan and Barbara tell uh, Jules about, you know, everything that happened as far as the farmhouse and getting caught and everything, Rouvray and Dargenson being killed. And you find out that Jules is like the, the leader of this organization that smuggles people out that are going to be guillotined. And Dargenson and Rouvray were two of the people that were supposed to get out. And like that safe house farmhouse was part of like the chain uh, of places to, to go to on their way out and so he realizes that they must have a traitor in the organization because no one should have known about it right yeah i mean they i think jean says like it could have just been like bad luck or something like like one of them mentions like it could have just been like a you know coincidence that the soldiers just happened to come on them but we we all know that it's it's a little too uh convenient not in this time period yeah so Susan though is having her headache again and oh. so she needs to go like <laughs> Okay. All right. So so here's my pitch. Here here's my here's my fan theory. So in the sensorites, Susan's like telepathic powers were like expanded, right? And so then we take her to the French Revolution. They say like, yeah, her powers will fade. Maybe it takes some time for her powers to fade. And maybe what's happening is all of like the death and the depression and like all the fear of the people is like intruding on Susan right now and is giving her these horrible headaches and it's also making her like super depressed to the point that she can't do anything. And how does this affect her back, which she also said hurt while they were in the cart? <laughs> Have you never had like a pain so bad that it like makes your back like sort of you know, tense up too and, and causes that to hurt? Oh, I have. And you know what I did? I still push through it. I guarantee you if my life was on the line, I would have found a way to bolt out of that cart while puking on everybody as I ran. All right, fine. I'm just <laughs> trying. I'm trying here. I feel like it's a fairly plausible I just, scenario. I feel like no matter what her life, I don't think she actually truly understood her life was in serious danger. Barbara knew. Yeah. She wasn't just going to abandon Susan to save her own skin, but she was really trying. She's like, Susan, we got to go. Right. Yeah, they didn't chain them up or anything. So it's like, yeah, as soon as you have an opening, just like run for it. Yeah, Susan just dangle arms dangling over the side of the cart yeah no (laughs) but yeah once susan's out there's a knock on the door 
and a new person enters. His name is Leon. Ooh. And and when Barbara comes back in the room, he instant my my note is he stands erect. <laughs> <laughs> like he circles her like a shark no, he's immediately <laughs> taken with her like he's just seen a school of fish and he's a shark <laughs> it's just like, like i don't even know how to describe the way like he just it's like he undresses her with his eyes but it's even <laughs> more than that and the thing is you would think barbara of all people would be like i'm just gonna slap this guy but barbara's into it she's just like mm-hmm, well, you know she- Throughout all these adventures, everybody that's been trying to hit on her is some grubby, creepy person. Here is a well-dressed, put-together man, and he's not that bad-looking. Yeah. And he's obviously intelligent. Yeah. So, I was like, And and honestly, of the guest cast, I think he's the best actor out of all of them, too, so... He definitely wasn't bad, but, I mean, I'm sitting here going, are they gonna kiss? Is Ian gonna be jealous? It's a good thing he's not here. Yeah. Well, more on that later. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, the then Jewel says that, you know, he's gotta go, uh, because, um... Oh, yeah, because Leon tells them that somebody's been asking for him, and so they're gonna go check that out, and so Leon's like, don't worry, I'll take good care of her. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I don't know. I just feel like the way he looks at her is just not okay for someone you just met. You know, it's like way too intense, right? Oh, there is a serious he's a he's a lecherous. He, like he is like if he was a cartoon character, he'd be the wolf with the eyes bugging out of his head, the, <laughs> the tongue licking his lips. Okay, all I thought of in my head when I first saw the way he was looking at Barbara was the original Broadway cast of Into the Woods and the wolf's mm. song. And he's like, mmm, ah, licking his lips. And if you've never seen the original Broadway cast of Into the Woods, the wolf's costume is anatomically correct and very fuzzy. And there's tons of hip thrusting throughout this whole song. And that's what I was thinking of. I'm sending you this clip so you can see this. Okay, um, <laughs> that's what it looked like yeah well like i say like the thing the imagery the best imagery that comes to my mind is he's a shark i can see you know that like too. that's what i when i see him and he's circ- like he literally circles her and staring at her the whole time as he circles her and i'm just like this is like a shark you know it's like <laughs> messed up but yeah so the doctor arrives at the prison now and he's dressed. Oh, 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 Juliet! Because you're you're our fashionista. You 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 talk about how the doctor's dressed. <laughs> what do you think about it? Okay, so his outfit is pretty basic. You know, it's what I would expect for like some crazy puffed up politician, right? It's all uh, just suit. It, it looks very French. He's got the sash, but there's one thing you can't stop staring at. <laughs> this man, I'm pretty sure, has like five swans stuck on his head. <laughs> The plumes on this hat are taller than the doctor himself, I swear. I mean, they're at least the length of his whole abdomen. From neck to crotch, I believe that that is how tall these plumes are. And it's not just one. He has multiple white plumes on there, which sent me off onto a brief Cyrano de Bergerac bit. But then I just kept staring at these plumes. And I don't think the doctor takes this hat off for the next, I don't know how long, because he's really in love with this hat. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Every time we see him, yeah, while he's wearing that costume, he's wearing the hat. He he never takes the hat off while he's wearing the costume. It's like the cloak that he was gifted. And he just had to wear this cloak everywhere and then whip it around. Mm -hmm. Now he has a hat with a plume, with multiple plumes. Oh, no. He is going to (laughs) rock this hat with chin strap. They had to have a chin strap because of the weight of those plumes. It is a very impressive hat. 
I how did he even clear through doorways wearing that thing? Yeah. This is a prison. Did he crouch? Did he limbo? Well, thankfully, like like I don't know the history of the conciergery, but it looks like it could have been like a like a medieval fortress or something. It's a lot of stonework, and it's really like like the main areas are all very big and like have very high ceilings and everything. So I know there's a couple scenes where he enters into like cell rooms or whatever. So he must have had to to bow his head. Of course, those are the missing episodes, so we don't see it. But how did he even leave our snitchy haberdashery <laughs> wearing this hat? Because I guarantee you that doorway wasn't tall enough. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So either he put the hat on once he got out in the street, or he's pulling a stormtrooper and smacking his hat on things. <laughs> Where he's like bending down, like at the waist, oh like God. like he's bowing to an audience and walking through them straight. I couldn't <laughs> stop staring at every scene that he's in. The first, the most thing I'm mostly looking at is his stupid hat. <laughs> I love that hat. The plumes are gorgeous. They're so full yeah. and fluffy, and there's multiple of different lengths. But there's a couple of really tall ones. Mm. I'm not kidding. It's insane. No, it is. <laughs> it's a very ostentatious outfit. And even though, like like you said, it's like a normal French-looking thing, but the thing is, it's way more impressive than what anyone else is wearing. It is true. That we've seen. It's a very elaborate, because it's got a cloak and everything. Like, everybody else, because again, French Revolution, no one's doing well money-wise right now. Like, this, like... The French economy has been wrecked. Like, you know, everybody's poor. Everybody's dirty. Like, even the people in power are wearing fairly so. Like, when you see Robespierre, he's not wearing anything nearly as ornate. No. Right? Even they're wearing very simple clothes. And Lamette wears something a little fancier. But not, even that's not anywhere near as fancy as what the doctor's wearing. So, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of crazy. So, but then, you know, he does. The, well, first he's like, he, he's like, oh, my papers to the jailer. And he just sort of like flashes them in front of his face and then snatches them back as soon as the jailer starts to try to like actually read what's on them. I wonder if things like this are what made the doctor want to have psychic paper later. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> yeah, he does the whole like pretend that you're supposed to be there thing where he's like why was nobody like waiting for me to escort me? Like how dare you kind of stuff. And the jailer's like what? You know like what are you talking about? And he's like you knew that I was coming. I made sure that I sent the message myself and you know all this stuff. And, and you know like like keeps the guy like so because he just doesn't know what's going on and he sees that this guy looks impressive and so it's just kind of like uh, oh oh like uh, there must have been like some sort of mistake or whatever and but then the doctor gets to the point where he's like okay well what I'm here for there were three people from my province that got captured and I'm gonna take them back you know, to my own province to uh, question them and execute them. And he gives the descriptions for Ian, Barbara, and Susan. And the jailer's like, well... <laughs> yeah, about that. Yeah, about that. Um, Two of them were rescued on the way to the guillotine. He's like, oh, that's not my fault because I was outside of the prison. But then he's also like, and then one guy escaped from here too. And so uh, the doctor's like, oh, fine, I'm just going to leave. But then he turns around and Lamette is standing right behind him. He's been listening to the conversation. We, like, we see him as he's finishing up the conversation with the jailer. We see Lamette kind of like just stand behind the doctor. And the great thing about their interaction is that, you know, the doctor's being so good about the way that he's sort of presenting himself and everything. But you right. can tell from the very first scene that Lamette's not having any of it. But since oh, yeah. he doesn't have any proof 
he's just like letting the doctor sort of lie his way on and all like you know he's just like letting him just keep spin as many lies as he wants to spin as much as i don't want to i find myself at this point really liking lamette yeah i'm just like no you're kind of cool actually i shouldn't like you but i do yeah. so he does uh ask for the doctor's papers and he he does take a good time like looking at them before he hands them back and he asks the doctor, well where are you going you know now that you know you're here and, and, and the people you're looking for aren't, aren't here anymore and the doctor's like oh I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back home now uh since they're not here anymore and lamette says well you know by the merest coincidence i'm just about to go meet with robespierre and our agenda was gonna be to talk about your province so <laughs> this is a great coincidence why don't you come with me and we'll, we'll both talk to him <laughs> so yeah like the doctor's basically let off with no way of really getting out of it without having to come up with something really you know crazy so mm-hmm. so so they walk off and then later we cut to the jailer who is talking or to someone he's like look Lamette's not here just tell me and then we see that it's the tailor and he's in there he's like what what is it so important that you need to talk to Lamette about and the tailor's like i have evidence against a traitor and he holds out the doctor's ring oh, there goes the ring yeah and that is our cliffhanger wait wait didn't we have a moment another cut back to barbara and leon because i was pretty sure that i have notes about this i was like oh. I, I think this dude wouldn't care where he asked her where she was born and someone like that and i'm like he doesn't care he just wants to boink her yeah <laughs> you know what there, you're right there was something there but since nothing really important happened in that scene i skipped it we, yeah we find out that i guess susan was not feeling great and mm. they came back downstairs and they had some brandy because i was like yeah I, I would also like a brandy and i was like oh look there's a dude and he's being a gentleman about it but he's not forcing his attention on her and it's so nice to see a decent dude give her attention and i regretted that statement <laughs> there is is that where he says the one thing or maybe it's in a later scene it might be the next scene that we have with them where he says something like when barbara says that actually she's english and he says actually that's that's not a bad thing because it probably means that you don't care about what's going on in france and she's like that's a weird thing to say and he says maybe i'll explain it someday i think it's later but i know we i know there's a scene between the two of them there mm-hmm. but yeah no you're right you're right yeah they're drinking and and yeah they're just making small i just had to comment yeah. on it because that's where i point that's where i made the note at least he's a decent dude for once <laughs> because yes well he he's he's cleaner than most of them he, he is cleaner <laughs> at least on the outside right. <laughs> so yeah here we have um episode four the tyrant of france okay now i was really sad when this was turned out to be one of the reconstructions because i wanted to see this original episode again reign of terror robespierre i wanted to see all of this yeah no i agree i mean the crazy thing is so the whole reason we have the episodes that we have is so uh do you know do you know where cyprus is yes yeah so the island of cyprus in the mediterranean um they they had played doctor who in the 60s you know they were one of the countries that bought the episodes and what had happened was so first of all they didn't return them to the bbc like they were supposed to but (laughs) they had like a storage room but they misfiled two of the episodes episodes four and five in a different room and what happened was there was a war in cyprus in the 70s where where turkey basically tried to to take it over Mm -hmm. and there was a bomb 
that hit the TV station. And the bomb blew up the one room, but not the other. Oh my gosh. And so the room that had episodes four and five blew up. Wow. And they still had the records, which is why when people started investigating missing episodes and going to all the different stations where episodes had been sold to see if they had any that they had misplaced or whatever, they found out that, oh crap, episodes four and five were here, but they were blown up. <laughs> so so yeah so so one two three and six got returned to the bbc but four and five got blown up so uh unless they find those somewhere else you know that's that's why we only have these four <laughs> sadness but at least we had the four because right right exactly because originally all six were missing and, and they did find four of them so i would never have yeah. truly appreciated the hat right <laughs> yeah and since this one didn't have uh because the director you know uh died you know well before people started looking for this stuff if he ever had the telesnaps like we don't know because he he died and you know nobody's around i guess there's no next of kin that anyone was able ever, ever able to ask yeah yeah the director was they, they talk about in the documentary for this that he was like a, a refugee that had escaped hungary during the communist um revolution they had there in the 60s i saw that so yeah i mean he would I, I don't know that if he that he had any family or anything like so he might have just come over by himself and that's what it was yeah so so uh, Lamette and the doctor come to talk to Robespierre. And of course, Robespierre, like once Lamette introduces the doctor, Robespierre is like, oh, great. Let's talk about your province. And the doctor does everything to spin the conversation you know, mm-hmm. off into something else. Like, oh, well, don't you want to know what I think about what's going on in Paris? And they're like, well, I don't, you just arrived. How would you even ha- <laughs> know about the current state of affairs? And I'm like, honey, this is Paris in the reign of terror. You don't have to get anywhere near the city to know the current state of affairs. Right. You can smell it. Yeah. And so Robespierre is basically his main issue as well in the southern province. Like, you're not, you know, executing anywhere near as many traitors as in other places. And the doctor's like, oh, is that the conclusion you came to? Maybe we just don't have as many traitors. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and you know, it's just, oh, God, he's so paranoid. He, he's yeah. perfect in this. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, he starts, like, the doctor basically gets him onto a rant where he's talking about how they have to execute every last one of them. Like, I don't want to be known for all the carnage, but it's necessary. And, you know, like, he's just going on and on. And they get him to a point where he, he just gets so worked up that, that they just have to leave. <laughs> I mean, he's like, oh, it's too bad we never got to talk about your province. He talks like, about how all his enemies seem to multiply, and I'm like, well, yeah. yeah. And then he's, he, isn't he the one who says, he, he's wondering what kind of legacy he's going to leave behind? Mm-hmm. And I'm over here cracking up. I'm like, oh, honey, if you only knew. Right, well, that's when he talks about, like, I don't want to be known for all this carnage, and I worry about the legacy I'm going to, you know, leave behind, but, yeah. you know, this is necessary, you know, we need to get rid of every last single traitor, and yeah, I mean, the one thing I like about this is that when we talked in the last one about how the doctor is becoming more of the central figure of the show, mm-hmm. you know, and in this one, he's the one that's coming to Paris to rescue everybody else. So again, we're kind of like Ian and Barbara are becoming less of the focus of the show, even though they're still prominent. Right. But and, and the doctor's becoming more is that he's very outspoken, whereas against what Robespierre is doing, like he's he's basically telling him, like, the things that you're doing are just making it worse. And I like that fact because before the doctor's characterization was almost just like, keep your head low. 
you know, like don't when, when you're dealing with historical stuff, don't try to talk to anybody or, or do anything. But even here, when the doctor, you know, supposedly still feels like you can't change history, he still feels like it's important for him to at least speak out against it, even though it's not going to change anything. Is so, the scene with Lamette right after this where they were going, where they walk outside and Lamette's like, I can't believe you said that to him. Yes. The doctor's like, well, yeah. <laughs> right. It's important. And it's big for Lamette to just be like, wow. Because mm-hmm. I know you're a phony. Right. And, but yeah, the, the Robespierre says he wants the doctor to come back the next day. And the doctor's like, yeah, it's, it's so awful that we didn't get to talk about my profits. <laughs> so yeah, now Susan's back downstairs uh, in the room with Barbara and Leon. Oh, and this is the part we were talking about Leon before. This is, this is what I forgot to bring up. So I have this theory because Danielle, Jules' sister, mm-hmm. obviously does not like Leon. And like you were saying before, like, you know, Leon's obviously kind of like a player. I have this sort of theory that he had, he and Danielle had a past and then he kind of used her and left her. And that's why she doesn't like, mm. you know, him at all. Because we never get a backstory for that. I don't think maybe he would have used her because, boy, her brother would not have let that fly. No. That's true. Boy, I think perhaps he shout, he showed her interest and maybe she showed him interest and then he just shifted that interest to other people. Mm, that could be. But yeah, I don't think Leon would still be around if, they, if there had been him going on. <laughs> That's true. But sometimes people, like, people don't talk about it afterwards either. Like maybe she didn't tell her brother oh, because she would have been embarrassed. Or He would have asked, you know. why don't you like Leon now? Because <laughs> that was not hidden at all. No, that's true. But yeah, no, I mean, he's just... Susan, Susan appears to be finally over her headache. I'm still not happy with her. Leon still totally wants to get underneath Barbara's corsets. Right. (laughs) At some point, apparently, Susan, like, nods off or something because Barbara thinks that she's asleep. And here I'm wondering, they talk about a fever, and I'm like, when did she catch something? Telling you, it's psychic. It's psychic. She didn't actually catch anything. It's the psychic effects. But yeah, they talk about getting a doctor. And and this is the point where I'm kind of like, okay, Barbara, Barbara, of all people, you should know 18th century medicine is not what you want. <laughs> you know? It's yeah. Like, it's like, uh, we won't discuss I don't know, the what do you think thing. he's going to do? Prescribe some aspirin? <laughs> this is not going to go well. Right. And then Leon's like, you know, and Barbara tells Leon to go be careful because he's like, I'll go, I'll go get the doctor. Yeah, because he says, well, first he says, like, it's risky because, you know, the physicians are all snitches, basically, uh, just to keep their own heads. But she says, like, well, don't you have anybody that you trust? And he's like, yeah, I do know one guy. So he's uh, he's going to go find that guy who says. But then after he leaves, Susan's like, you really like him, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> She's such a teenager. <laughs> and Barbara, like, completely avoids the question. And it's just like, I thought you were sleeping. Yeah. But yeah, then she takes uh, Susan back to bed. And then Jules and Jean bring a body into the house. With a hood over its head. Right. Well, that's because so the audience doesn't know who it is. But of course it's Ian. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it could have worked because if they're bringing him to a safe house, you don't want that person to like wake up and know. Yeah. I wasn't even sure that this person was alive. I saw a body. Right. It's true. And it is Ian. Yeah, it's Ian because he was the guy that was asking for Jules because that was the one piece of information he got from Webster. So right. So then they came and knocked him out and dragged him to their house. And uh, Lamette and the doctor come back to the prison, and Lamette's like, "Like, wow, you made such a good impression on Robespierre." 
but you know and so and so it's great that you'll see him again tomorrow and the doctor's like no nah, i really gotta go back home but lamette's like no 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 robespierre said that i have to bring you back tomorrow and, and i've got to bring you back tomorrow so he tells the jailer to arrange a room for the doctor and the jailer tells lamette that there's a guy here to see him which is the tailor and mm-hmm. so Lamette walks off. So the doctor's left with the jailer, and he's like, oh, you know what? I guess I am going to leave. It, you know, I, I really wish I hadn't asked Lamette to put me up in a room here, but I, I guess I'll just be going. Like, he's completely reversed the situation. Lamette's the one that tried, is, is trying to get him to stay, and he's making it seem like he was the one that originally asked to stay, and now he's just like, I've changed my mind. But the jailer's like, no, 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 Lamette told me that... <laughs> that you've got to stay here in a room and you know until he comes back to to say differently you're you're staying so he pulls a gun on the doctor and the doctor's like fine i guess i'll stay if not if just for your sake so now the doctor is staying in prison even as a guest but he's still staying in the prison right because they say they're going to give him one of the soldiers rooms right right so so yeah he's not staying in a cell but yeah so then the tailor basically tells Lamette everything and he says like you know I I don't know what's going on but it seems really suspicious and so uh, Lamette tells him because he's like well are you going to keep all this evidence because you know I am out because I gave him some of my clothes and stuff and Lamette's like okay you can have here's a reward you know, for forgiving me this information, but I need to keep all these items for evidence. Right. Uh-huh. And then he has the tailor leave by a back way so that the doctor won't see him and realize that, you know, Lamette knows. I hate snitches. Yeah. Also, I just want to point out that at one point the jailer talked about how he needed to have a drink from his flask and then he picks up the giant clay jug yes. on his desk. <laughs> I, just, I just have to point this out. Yeah. Well, that's that's like a Shakespeare thing, right? The servant guy who's like a drunk and, you know, is, is sort of a comedy relief character. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Barbara um, sees Jules and Jean. They talk about Susan and, and how Susan's sick, but Leon's going to go find a doctor for her. But then she sees, because then Ian gets up and she's like, Ian! And, and so, he's really calm for seeing two people he thought were dead. Yeah, so yeah, Ian asks about the doctor. Barbara's like, Look, I don't know anything about the doctor either. Then Ian talks about uh, the fact that he's looking for... Uh, Sterling and talks about Webster and says like hey Jules do you, I, I was looking for you do you know either of these two people and he's like no <laughs> and Ian's like well that's weird because Webster told me that you would help me and then Jules says well I mean other spies have contacted me before because of what I do and, and you know we share information and stuff so that's probably why he told you to find me because I have this good information network so we can probably find out who he is mm-hmm but then he's like, well, I do know this one guy, Leon. He's been like a really big help to my organization. And, and maybe he's even Sterling. I mean, you know, it could happen. Yeah. But it does seem weird because we've already established, I thought that Leon was French. It's true. But that could be, I mean, he's, if it's a cover, you know, like he could have been pretending. Yes, with a terrible French accent. <laughs> <laughs> So, so Jules is going to arrange a meeting between Eon and Eon, Ian and Leon. I merged their names together, Ian and Leon, not Eon. <laughs> Sorry, that made me laugh harder than. It well, was. that's how um, Ixta and the Aztecs pronounced his name, Eon. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. Um, 
So, uh, so the, the, this the next morning, and the doctor's trying to sneak out because the, the jailer is asleep at his desk. And the doctor's trying to sneak past him. And just as he's, like, going up the steps to, like, get past the jailer, like, Lamette walks out and is like, oh, good morning. You know? Glad you're already up. Let's go. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's such good comic timing. And that's one of the things, like, that you really notice about this one is that William Hartnell is really enjoying all the, like, the sort of comic timing and everything he in this one. Like, does he does seem is, very engaged in it. Yes, he, he is so happy in this story. <laughs> and, yeah, the doctor complains about, you know, like, how bad the bed was and everything, but it's mm-hmm. just like, well, that's like, eh, let's just have some breakfast and go see Robespierre. So they walk off. And Danielle comes and tells Jules that uh, Leon sent a message that the physician won't come, so uh, they'll have to take Susan to the physician. And... Ian's like, okay, well, I'll go with her. But Jewel's like, ah. That would look suspicious. That'll look suspicious. If two women go, it's a little less suspicious. And besides, you need to meet with Leon anyway. So why don't you do that while they're doing, while they're going to the physician? So Ian agrees to that. And then we cut to Susan at the physician. And oh. he's like, <laughs> oh, before he even opened his mouth, my first qu- my first thing was, I wonder if he's going to bleed her. Yeah, so that's what we get to. Is he's, he doesn't think what Susan has is very is very serious, but he's like, oh well, we'll need to do some bloodletting, and I'll need to go get some leeches. I was like, yep, I was right. Yeah, it's like what? what Why is that your go to? Right. <laughs> Oh, something's well, wrong. Time to bleed him. Let's get those well, leeches. Well, yeah, but I mean, I, I don't understand. Like, maybe Susan just doesn't know human history that well. But Barbara, come on. Barbara should have known this was going to be the first thing he would suggest. Right, exactly. Oh, and so, then and then they're like, well, maybe we should come back later. He's like, no, I'm going to be gone all day. So you should wait right here, which makes no sense. Right. But, but we know all doctors are snitches. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, he leaves. And then, you know, they talk about how th- this doesn't feel right. And so then they try to go, but the door is locked. Yeah. Now, here's another question. Are there no windows? What the heck kind of a place is this? Yeah. And the problem there is, is I don't think we know what that room actually looked like. I think that what they put in there for the reconstruction is just like some generic background that they found. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think we got a picture because because it's not in any of the other episodes. So they don't have a legit picture of, of what that place looked like. So I just imagine there'd have to be a window somewhere. Yeah, you would think so. Break it and go, people. Right. <laughs> but yeah, they just decided to just wait around. Even though All day. Pretty likely now that he locked them in that he's going to get people to arrest them but and sure enough yeah so uh ian's worrying because barbara and susan are so late and jules like hey you have to wait at the doctor all the time which is true but you know even now but uh but he's like okay look i'll check on them you go meet with leon and so that's what they do but yeah, so then um, the jailer tells Lamette that they've recaptured. Because, yeah, the soldiers come and take uh, Barbara and Susan. The jailer tells Lamette that they've recaptured two of the prisoners. And uh, Lamette, though, says that Barbara should be separated out and put in a different room. And the jailer says, like, yeah, Lamette thinks that you might want to question this woman. So the doctor goes in to talk with Barbara while Lamette's listening outside. Like, the doctor doesn't see Lamette. But right. Lamette comes up because he he knows that the doctor's looking for them. And so he's going to find out like what's going on with these people. And so then we go to Ian. He's gone to this disused church where he's supposed to meet Leon. But once like calls out, Leon comes out and he's, and he's like, you know, I'm Ian. 
and then some soldiers step out and Leon's like, you've walked into my trap. And I'm like, oh my God, Leon was sus. <laughs> and that is our cliffhanger. And there we go. Right there. My, my one comment about him being a decent dude. That's down the drain. Right. Uh, well, you know, the cool thing, like it's one of the nice things about the French Revolution, though, is because of how chaotic it was. It's a good place to do like these sort of stories with intrigue, right? Like shifting alliances and people pretending to be one thing, but they're really another and all it's that. It's true. It's one of those kinds of stories. So yeah, now, now we're on episode five, A Bargain of Necessity. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Not not as overblown as some of the other titles, but you know, it works. But yeah, Ian tries to get away, but the soldiers stop him and he's like, well, hey, I mean, Jules going to be suspicious and come looking for me. And Leon's like, by the time that happens, we'll have moved on and Jules will be dead. And so they chain Ian to the wall and, you know, Leon's basically like, we're going to have to kill Jules anyway because he realizes that there's a traitor somewhere in the organization. So his usefulness is at an end. But I, I want to know what's, you know, what you know, Ian, you know, because I know that you're a spy and... Ian's like, I, I, I know nothing. Right. <laughs> and he's not lying. Yeah. Well, and then Leon, he does have like this little speech about how like the nobles are all parasites and they need to be eradicated from France and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, he's very eat the rich. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Even though he's really dressed like one. Right, exactly. But then, yeah, like Barbara and the doctor are talking in the cell and she tells him that Susan was also captured but they've been staying in this house that this guy named uh, Jules Renan owns. So Lamette's listening to all this part, but then the jailer comes up and tells him that Robespierre wants to see him immediately. So he has to leave, but he tells the jailer, like, look, under no circumstances is the door with the girl to be opened or you will be guillotined. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he leaves. But yeah, the doctor's basically like, well, Barbara, actually things turned out okay because who knows how long it would have taken me to find you and here you <laughs> are. But Barbara's like, well, I've been captured though. Like this is bad. The doctor's like, I'm going to leave the door open and you just walk out of here. And she's like, what? And he's like, yeah, I, I got this covered. <laughs> so the doctor goes out of the cell and once he finds out Lynette isn't there, he tells the jailer, like, look, this woman you've got in there, she is, like, part of this super dangerous, like, organization of <laughs> traitors. And we can't get her to talk, not her type. But if we let her go, she'll go to the rest of them. And all we have to do is follow her there, and we'll get the whole group. <laughs> And the jailer's like, yeah. Oh, well, no, no. Actually, the doctor the doctor suggests like, oh, what could we do? And he's like, mm -hmm. makes the jailer suggest we let her go and then we follow her. Oh, my goodness. And so the doctor's like, okay, open all the doors and make sure she can get away. And she'll just think that she got away. And the jailer's like, okay. And so he goes off. And so, yeah, Barbara, like a few minutes later, pokes her head out the door. She's yep. like, okay, just walk off. It's <laughs> cool. And now she leaves Susan behind. Well, because the doctor says, let me take care of Susan. You know, you just get out. Right. But still. I don't know. If I was going to be like, we've already established Barbara knows what's up with the guillotine. <laughs> I think Barbara's just like, yeah. you know what? Susan, your grandfather's got it covered. I'm, I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Peace. But yeah, so Jules, you know, he's, he must have checked on Barbara and Susan already because he comes back to the house and he's yelling all their names and none of them are there. So he's he's concerned about what's going on. And then Ian, we cut back to Ian, who's still, you know, chained up at the church. And one of the soldiers is threatening to stab him if he doesn't talk. And Leon's like, oh, you've got to forgive my enthusiastic friend. You know, like that kind of conversation of, you know, like, mm -hmm. a little bit, you know, 
come on. I, I have the power to let you go, Ian. It will just be so easy. Just tell me all the information you have. And Ian dies. I know. I know. Because Ian's like, well, first of all, I don't know anything. Because, like, Leon's basically, I know that James Sterling is here in France. Like, tell me how you're supposed to find him. And Ian's like, do you think I'd be here if I knew that? And, and basically, he's like, okay, I'm going to tell you what I know. We came here in a time machine. <laughs> We're from the future. We're from the future. And, uh, and of course, Leon's not having any of that. Oh my gosh, I love it though. Yeah, but at, while they're talking, Jules shows up and there's a fight. You know, Ian's like kicking one of the guards because his hands are chained up and, you know, there's there's a whole firefight. And of course, we don't see it, you mm-hmm. know, uh, one of our few action scenes. But yeah, Leon ends up killing, I'm sorry, Jules ends up killing Leon. Right. And, uh, and let, he lets Ian go. So the doctor tells Susan that uh, he's already gotten Barbara out. He's going to get her out. Uh, just give him a few minutes. And I know it's a construction, but I still was hoping he was wearing that ridiculous hat this entire time. <laughs> yes. We have no evidence he was not wearing the ridiculous hat. Which makes me happy. Yeah. So the doctor goes to see the jailer. The jailer's like, what, what are you doing here? And the doctor's like, well, what do you mean? He's like, the jailer's like, I, I thought you were following the woman to find the traitors. And the doctor's like, me? I thought you were the one following the woman to get the traitors. <laughs> the jailer's like, I can't leave. I have to, I have to stay in the jail. And and so, you know, again, the doctor's just like messing with this guy's head, you know, <laughs> and uh, and the doctor's like, okay, well, let's see what we can do. Well, we've got this other woman who's part of the same organization. Let's let her go. And this time I'll follow her, like you said, and I'll make sure that I get them this time. But because the jailer's so afraid of Lamette, he's like, look, you know, you're making tons of sense, but I can't because Lamette threatened to kill me and... You know, there's there's no way I'm, I can let her go. Right. So that doesn't work for the doctor. But then we cut to Lamette meeting with Robespierre, and Robespierre is is freaking out. He's like, "There's gonna be um, this indictment brought against one of like the governing committee members, and they're not gonna let me speak. And it, it's all these traitors, and they're trying to destroy everything that I've worked for, and blah blah blah." Robespierre's all- voice during all this, I gotta say, the actor was pulling it off because he sounded frazzled. Yeah. Yeah, and he's like, it's all the fault of this Paul Barris, and he, I know he's got to be working with somebody else, but I don't know who it is, and that's what you've got to do, Lamette. You've got to figure out who this is. you got to follow him around until you find out. And Lamette's like, okay, well, who are they going to bring the indictment against? And he's like, it's me, me, Robespierre! <laughs> And it's like that, like the way he can, yes. like he says it, it's very like, you know, like whatever you call that kind of voice where you're, you're quivering um, the way you say it. Barbara gets back to Jules' house. She tells Ian about the doctor and the doc- and Ian is just like, I don't know how he gets away with this kind of stuff. <laughs> it's like, it's like he's so envious of the doctor being able to do this kind of thing. She's like, I just walked out. And they're like, what? She's like, yeah, somehow the doctor's like got like half the prison answering to him. She's like, I mean, we just roll with it. It's cool. Yep. But then, yeah, she's asking like, well, where's Leon? And Jules like, I had to kill him. <laughs> what? Um, and then Ian tells her that like, well, he was going to kill me. And then Barbara gets really upset about it. And even though she understands what they're saying, she's like, 
well, to his side, you guys are the traitor. You know, like, because Jules like, well, he was a traitor. And she's like, well, but to his side, you guys are the traitors. And she's, you know, talks to, to Ian about how, um, you know, like the French Revolution wasn't all bad, you know, and historically in the context, you know, like a lot of good reforms and things came out of it eventually and stuff like that. And so, you know, she's talking about, you know, that, that sort of, you know, bigger picture kind of thing to it because she's mad because he was a hot guy that she was into. So Yeah, now he's dead. <laughs> And poor Ian, though. I gotta imagine, he's just like, but, but he was trying to kill me. <laughs> he's talking to me about history, and he was trying to kill me. <laughs> but I do like that, because I do like that, you know, they, they bring that up, that, you know, we kind of do look at this as, you know, obviously it was bad, because they were cutting people's heads off, and lots of people died, and there were a lot of people who died that didn't even do anything wrong. And just because they were accused by people and stuff like that, but that there is sort of a greater context that, you know, this was also the movement that led France to having a democracy eventually and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, there were things that came out of it and there were intentions that went into it in the beginning that were good. It was just like in this sort of middle part of it, yeah. it had become something really awful. It took a while though. Yeah. I mean, it took a long time. No, I know. I know. But I'm just saying that there is a sort of greater context to it that, uh, you know, historically. I'm curious how French people look at the French Revolution in history because a lot of our sort of point of view comes from the British point of view, which was the British were afraid that they were going to have a revolution where they were going to kill all their... (laughs) The people in England were all like, crap, we don't want any of our people getting the same idea. (laughs) Wait, because... This was the main French Revolution. Then they had the French Revolution that was known as the July Revolution, where they overthrew another king. And then we had the June Rebellion, which was, again, fighting against anti-monarchist things that were going on. And that was what was in Les Mis. Mm. Like, they didn't come to democracy for, like, another 50 years? 40 or 50 years? Because hmm. it kept going. We still had kings. Really? I thought after Napoleon, it kind of went to a, to a, demo- I, I don't know. I honestly, I'm not that well studied up on French history. I know, no, I knew Napoleon was next, but he uh, was, but yeah. I, I had to double check because I was vaguely curious. Yeah. The July revolution, it was in 1830. Okay. They over, they led to the overthrow of King Charles X okay. and the June rebellion uh, was the Paris uprising in 1832. It was an anti-monarchist insurrection. Hmm. It was an attempt by the Republicans to reverse the establishment in 1830 of the July monarchy of Louis-Philippe. Hmm. So yeah, no, they didn't get uh, democracy for a while. It's a, Like I told you, French France just has rebellion after rebellion. <laughs> it sounds awful, and it right. was, but, you know. I mean, it did overall lead to better things. Right. All of it. It just took a long time. Yeah, I should probably see all I learned from history. I learned from Doctor Who, so you know. <laughs> it doesn't. It's not bad at it. They're teaching important things, especially the Reign of Terror. I, I'm glad that they did an episode arc on it. Right. Oh, so the Doctor comes up with another plan to get Susan out, where he tells her to like lay down in front of the door, so that if you're looking in through the bars, you can't see her. 
Mm-hmm. And he's like, jailer, jailer, the, the girl, she's escaped. She's not in there. And so the jailer like looks in, he doesn't see her. He, he opens the door and then the doctor hits him on the back of the head so that Susan can get out and he's not there. But as soon as Susan gets out, Lamette comes up and he sees them and he yells for the guards to catch them. And so they get them before they're able to get out of the prison. Yeah. And so Lamette's like, I think it's about time you and I had a little talk. Because everyone's out for themselves, this feels like, in the mm-hmm. reign of terror. And I can't blame them. Well, yeah. And I mean, if you think about it, 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 in a place, in a time period like this, where, like, so many things can get you killed, probably most people were just out for themselves. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Lamette shows the doctor that he has his ringing clothes, and he's like, I could have you arrested anytime that I want. And the doctor's like, well, why don't you then? <laughs> and Lamette's like, well... You know, uh, for someone like myself, it's good to have friends, uh, even if they're my enemies. <laughs> Which I love that turn of phrase. Like, it's good to have friends, even if they're my enemies. Right? And he's like, basically, like, I, I like people to owe me favors, you know, and to have things on people so that they, you know, do stuff that, that I need them to do. He tells him, like, look, uh, I need you to bring me to the house of Jules Renan. You know, I, I'm not going to let you have Susan back until then. I know she's your granddaughter. And so uh, the doctor at first is like, I'm, I'm not going to do this. And Matt's like, you don't have a choice. So Barbara and Ian are waiting for the doctor. Ian tells Barbara, like, look, I'm, I'm sorry about Leon, but it was the only way. Like, he was trying to kill me. And she, um, she says, like, look, I, I, I realize that. I'm, I'm just sick of all this death. And Jewel comes back into the, the room and says, well, I've left the door unlatched. You know, I don't see them coming. But, you know, as soon as they get to the, the house, then they can just come in. And, you know, Barbara apologizes to Jewel. And I think this is the point. I didn't write a note about it. But I think this is the part where Jewel tells them that he's not part of the aristocracy. Right. He's just he's just a regular guy that like doesn't like the chaos and the fear and everything of the reign of terror and so that's why he's helping people. I mean, I think that's awesome. Yeah, no, I thought that that was really cool too because it's like he's not like if he's somebody that if he kept his head low, you know, uh, wouldn't have been touched, but he's somebody who's putting himself out there to save people because it's the right thing to do. So I mm-hmm. thought that was a nice thing for his character to introduce that. But yeah, like as they're talking though, then the door opens and instead of the doctor and Susan. It's the doctor and Lamette. And Jewel says, your friend has betrayed us. <laughs> and that is the cliffhanger. <laughs> oh. And they do that thing, you know, that a lot of old shows do because the, you know, they didn't have, uh, you know, like freeze frame or anything. Like mm-hmm. the actors have to pretend to hold still while like the, the caption like comes on the screen of next episode, you know. <laughs> you can tell that they're kind of fidgeting and moving a little bit like the doctor's the doctor's hat must be tickling him or something because he's kind of like not standing quite still (laughs) but yeah that brings us to the final episode prisoners of conciergery and at this point lamette reveals like look ian i let you get away i needed just you to be allowed to deliver the message because I knew you'd been given one. And they're like, well, why? Why are you doing all this? And he's like, I'm James Sterling. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, now it all makes sense. Right. Ian's like, well, why don't you just tell me in the prison? And he's like, uh, I could have been overheard and I didn't know you. <laughs> so it wasn't a smart thing to do so this was safer but the thing that they reveal is that apparently the original plan was webster because webster didn't know like what identity sterling had taken webster was just gonna wander around paris and hope that he saw him (laughs) 
Like, do you know how many people are in, even back then, how many people were in Paris? I mean, this isn't a small town. This is like, you know, it's probably even a million people back then, you know? So awful. I know. The odds of just randomly running into somebody and being like, hey, (laughs) it's you. But yeah, so that that's a little weak. But yeah, so like the doctor's like, all right, fine. You've gotten to the house like you like you wanted me to do. Give me Susan. But Lamette's basically like, look, I'm not done with you guys. And besides, it's probably safer for her in prison than it would be anywhere else because the jailer knows that he would, you know, that he's going to die if anything happens to mm-hmm. her. So he's, he's going to keep her safe. Oh, because Ian, te- Ian tells Sterling, like, look, like the message was that it's time to go back to England and give your report. And Sterling's like, well, there's one more thing I got to do before I go. He says that, you know, like he, like Robespierre is panicking and I need to find out like what's going to happen. Like I need to figure out what's behind this plot against him because mm-hmm. then I'll be able to give a full report. And then suddenly Ian remembers something Webster said that was never actually said, but I guess it was supposed to be like between scenes or something <laughs> that Webster said something about Paul Barris and the sinking ship. And Joel's like, hey, there's an inn called the sinking ship. So Sterling's like, oh, great. So we know where he's going. So we didn't even have to follow him. So we'll go ahead of him. We'll get there. And then we'll set things up so that we can watch this meeting and figure out what's going on. And uh, he said, then that's why I need Ian and Barbara, because I would be recognized. He's like, even the doctor might be recognized because he's been walking around Paris enough. And so, um, so <laughs> they decide, oh, oh, and here's my favorite part. He tells Ian and Barbara that they need to stay the night. <laughs> yeah. We never comment on that more, you know, but, you know. They were staying in an inn together. I mean, who knows what was going on? (laughs) Oh, but yeah, he also says he can't use any of his own men because then they would know and they might talk and then he loses his advantage. So that's why he wants Ian and Barbara to do it. And so then we cut to them. Uh, We find out that Jules knocked out the innkeeper and tied him up in the basement. And so Ian has taken his place and Barbara is like a barmaid there and they just make like the cutest couple in their like French peasant <laughs> garb. Oh it's just like, it's like, oh. So uh, Paul Barris shows up and they sh- show him to the back room uh, where he can have his meeting. I found it really weird that he was not more suspicious of the fact that the guy he expected to see there was not there. I mean, I have to let some things go. Yeah, I mean, because if you think about it, you're in this time period where everybody's getting executed over the smallest thing, and then it's like you're plotting to overthrow the government, and you're just like, yeah, I was expecting to see one guy, but somebody else is here. It's not a big deal. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, they know he's waiting for somebody else, and so after everybody leaves, finally the final person comes in, but he's all bundled up, so we don't see who it is right away, but... Um, as soon as he gets into the back room, you know, he takes off the bundle. And and if Ian hadn't said who it was supposed to be, I would have never known who that was supposed to be. Because he does <laughs> not look that much like the, the paintings I've seen of Napoleon. But that's who it is. It's Napoleon. I was also very surprised because I was like, right. maybe I'm tainted by Bill and Ted. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, if we're going to talk about historical fiction with time travel, that is probably <laughs> the, the premier work on the subject. But anyway, um, 
but he pokes his head like he's suspicious and uh-huh. so uh, oh because we saw earlier ian like did one of those took one of those corkscrew things and drilled a hole yeah. in the wall so they could peek in ian and barbara are smart enough to know like hey don't start looking right away right they're like cleaning and doing like normal like you know straightening up kind of stuff in the common room of the inn so napoleon right. you know he does like a surprise like poke his head out to see if anyone's listening kind of thing and oh okay <laughs> everything's fine he closes it but that's how they see who it is and he's like it's it's napoleon he gets like all like he and barbara get all excited it's napoleon oh my god they just fangirled and fangled out like oh okay that's who this guy is Yeah, so basically, like, Barris says, like, look, Napoleon, you're really popular because you've had all these victories. I need military support. I'm going to get rid of Robespierre, and then we're going to create, like, a new government with three consuls running everything, and you'll be one of those people. And so Napoleon, it's such, a, like, a spy movie kind of line, because Napoleon's like, I'm fine with that, a contingent on Robespierre's downfall. In the event of failure, I will deny this conversation ever took place. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Should have he should have like put his pinky finger up to his lips. It was imperfect. <laughs> but yeah, so that's basically their their plan is that together, you know, so that way, you know, with the military support, Barris can basically depose Robespierre. Nobody's gonna argue with it because hey, who's gonna who's gonna question the guy that's got all the guns on his side? So <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if I didn't know the way that this worked out, I would have been like, Are you serious? No. Well, that's the thing, though. Once everybody else finds out about this, they're all like, um, this is really bad because Napoleon's not going to stop. <laughs> yeah, they're all like, Napoleon. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, then we cut back to the next day when Ian's telling Sterling, like, look, Napoleon is the guy and that's who he's meeting with and they're going to take care of Robespierre. And Lamette's like, uh, Robespierre is bad, but Napoleon's going to be even worse. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> So he runs off because he's going to try to warn Robespierre and, and save him. And Barbara and the doctor are just like, isn't this kind of crazy? Because we know we can't change anything. But all these, everybody's like running around trying to, to stop something from happening that we know has to happen. Is the doctor still wearing his hat at this point? Because I swore he was. Yeah. Yeah, okay. he's still wearing it. Sure. Yeah. Apparently, you know, Sterling does give him back his clothes at some point, but we don't actually see him change until they get back to the TARDIS. No, he's got to wear that hat as long so as So I don't can. know where he was keeping the clothes, but he has them somewhere. We don't talk about that. It's <laughs> right. the same place that Captain Jack was later keeping some weapons. Yeah. Yeah, so the doctor's like, well, we can't stem the tide, but at least we can avoid being taken away by the flood. Profound words. Yeah. So uh, so this is historically accurate. So um, Robespierre, he's, he's in his office. He grabs his gun. Um, the soldiers burst and he tries to talk to them, but they grab him and he's got his gun still in his hand while they're grabbing his hand. And as he's trying to like yell at them to stop, like the gun goes off and it hits his jaw. Yeah, they, they weren't ever really sure if he was self-inflicted or not, as far right. as I can recall. Right. But, and, like, and his brother tried to escape jumping out a window. It didn't work. <laughs> yeah, did you did you read about, though, the story of when Robespierre was actually guillotined? No. Well, I mean, if I did, it was a long time ago, and I do not recall. Okay, so, so, so you know, his jaw had been hit though. by a bullet, right? So he couldn't talk? Yeah. So, so he had been wrapped up, like, you know, it was bleeding and everything, so they had bandaged it. When they went to guillotine him, they took the bandage off, and his jaw came off with the bandage. Oh, that's just fantastic. Isn't that gross? I love it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, it's not going to matter because his head's going to be cut off in a few seconds. But still, I mean, that's just, just, just imagining that. That is so nasty. It's intense. Yeah. They rounded up everybody real quick that was close mm-hmm. to him. 
Yeah, like Lamette like arrives like just two few seconds too late, you know, yeah. and it's all happened. He and Ian are outside like the gang of soldiers who are spilling out of the office, and it's just like he's like, Maybe I can still do something. And Ian's like, uh no, we gotta go. So they leave. So the doctor goes into the prison um while Barbara waits outside because they had agreed to meet outside the prison, you know, after Ian and Lamette go off to uh, to Robespierre. And the jailer's like, What are you doing here? And the doctor's like, don't you know? I was part of the plan, you know, like, oh, like yeah. I was part of the plan to get rid of Robespierre. How it's is like, this jailer still alive? I, know. <laughs> He's like, I didn't know. And the doctor's like, uh, well, you were Lamette's accomplice, you know, like, I, we're going to have to execute you now, too. And the guy's like, no, no, please, I was just following orders. And the doctor's got him so worried that basically when he says all right well we'll we'll let you off you know but we'll be watching you kind of thing oh so he's like okay what should we do and the doctor's like well we're gonna need room in the prison because we're gonna have all these new traitors to put in here so we got to release all the prisoners that we have right now (laughs) and so he convinces him to let all the prisoners loose so that they have room for uh, robespierre and all his allies so oh my gosh yeah so that's how he gets susan back and when when he gets Susan, like as they're leaving, Robespierre is being marched in. And again, you just see how nasty these people are because they're like just mocking him. They're like bowing low, you know, uh-huh. like being like, "Oh, citizen, what should we do?" And, like one of the soldiers is like, "Yeah, he can't talk. He tried to write a letter to us, but it's too bad we can't read." <laughs> you know, and so it's just like Susan's just like, "Oh, we gotta go." And the doctor's like, "Yeah, let's go." Yeah, and they leave. And Jewel, uh, you know, is now outside with everybody else because he's gotten the carriage that they're going to use to leave. And he's like, yeah, I'm just going to go out in the country. (laughs) Wait things out, basically. It's getting too hot in Paris. And he says, like, I wonder who will end up ruling France after all this is over. And Ian's like, just remember the name Napoleon Bonaparte. And Jewel's like, a Corsican? He's never Never. going to rule France. (laughs) Yeah, if people don't know, Corsica is an island off of the, the coast of France that is controlled by France, but is separate. I mean, they have their own language and everything. Basically, it's the way the U.S. looks at Puerto Rico half the time. Right, exactly. So, so you know, yeah. You, we'll, we'll conscript you, we'll charge you taxes, but we're not going to help you do anything and you're not actually part of us. Right. Again, it's one of those things with a U.S. education, you never learn this kind of stuff. No. <laughs> or at least, at least not in like typical, like, you know, grade school, high school kind of thing. Like, Not unless you're weird. Yeah. Read the books. <laughs> everything can be learned if you, if you do your own education i'm just saying like the school system doesn't bother to teach you stuff like that nope yeah barbara tells sterling where the farmhouse was she's like we need to we need to go back to this place and he's like okay but where are you from originally like how'd you get there and she's just like yeah like she just walks off she's not gonna tell him he should have asked ian ian was spilled the beans Sterling basically says to Jules, I get the impression they don't know where they're heading for. I, I forget what Jules said to spark that. But but he's not wrong. Right. So yeah, then we get this nice little montage of carriages running through like fields the Flight and back to the TARDIS. Right. And then, yeah, we cut back to them in the TARDIS. And this is when the Doctor's changing his clothes. Like, we see some of the French clothes kind of like folded over like furniture and stuff in the TARDIS as he's getting his regular clothes back on. And they're sort of talking about yeah, like, no matter what we did, we could have tried to talk to Napoleon. He would have thought we were crazy. We could have written in a letter and he wouldn't have read it. Or if we had tried to shoot at him, the 
bullet would have missed. Basically, they're reinforcing this idea that they can't change anything. And so then we go to the doctor, and as the doctor's talking, we cut to like a scene of space and where you're like sort of like moving backwards <laughs> through space and the stars are sort of receding. And he says, our lives are, are important, at least to us. But as we see, so we learn. And Ian says, what are we going to see and learn next, Doctor? And the Doctor says, well, unlike the old adage, my boy, our destiny is in the stars. So oh let's God. go search for it. It was so cheesy. <laughs> but this is the end of the season. Okay. And so I think that's why we have that sort of pretentious sort of like ending with the, with the star field and the Doctor talking about searching for their, you know, their answer in the stars and all that. So, yeah. Right, so I'm going to throw out some history here for everybody real quick. When, okay. say, like, when people say French Revolution, they're usually talking about the one that the, hap- that the reign of terror was a part of mm-hmm. however the french revolution can mean anything that happened pretty much between like the beginning of this french revolution all the way through like the french third republic and the paris commune the beginning of this one was in the early 1790s or seven some early up uh, on in there because the reign of terror started in 1793 92 or 93 mm-hmm. there was the july revolution that we talked about that led to the june rebellion in 1815 which is what les mis was a part of all of that continued to just build and they they didn't build a democracy as much as they tried to do republics that still had monarchist tendencies and tried to still you tried to ha- still have a king hmm. because the the third republic and the paris commune happened uh in 1870-ish and it went through the beginning of the 1900s because during the 1880s was when phantom of the opera takes place hmm. in case you're wondering but the commune happens of course before all that but it's kind of interesting to know that, that France didn't have a proper democracy for a long time, just in case anybody's wondering. They set up as republics that didn't work, and they still had a lot of, they still basically had monarchies, which didn't go over well with the people. But the thing is that the, the sort of be, the impetus for this first revolution, though, is the American Revolution. Yeah. They I were mean, inspired by the... And, and Benjamin Franklin, like, came to France all the time. He was the first ambassador, mm-hmm. U.S. ambassador to France. And so he sort of, like, put the idea in their heads of, you know, creating a democracy. It just didn't It didn't turn out that way for a while. Well, it's interesting to also note that uh, Lafayette, who played such a huge part in our freedom, mm-hmm. he was one of the people calling, he was trying to actually calm the people down. You know, he agreed with them, but he was just trying to be like, no, we need to chill and do this the right way. In the June Rebellion of 1815, when Les Mis takes place when General Lamarck died Hmm. he was trying to get them to this is not the right time everybody's gonna die please don't do this let's just be cool it didn't work Mm -hmm. and everybody did die because it was a bunch of just small insurgents trying to get the people to rise up they didn't and they were slaughtered by the they brought in the military Mm -hmm. like tens of thousands of military men and they slaughtered everybody in the streets of Paris that built the barricades Mm -hmm. it was really depressing but like I said France just keeps rising up they don't like oppression yeah so it's just kind of cool bits of history in case anybody's wondering like when you say French Revolution there is a huge period of time where France just went through revolution and rebellion yeah and of course Europe was worried because you know When they got their act together, they declared war on other people, you know, some of them, so... I mean, these people were, uh, you, you weren't sure what they were going to do! Yeah. But yeah. it's just cool to think about it, and I love the fact that Doctor Who said this. Like, for a little bit, I was wondering if this was done by the same person who did Marco Polo, mm. because I really enjoyed it, but at the same time, I was like, nope, this has a different feel to it. Mm-hmm. And as much as I really loved it, 
I felt like it either needed to be at least one episode longer or one episode shorter. Yeah, no, I, I feel like that too. Dennis Spooner is going to write some more stories in the second season, and I feel like he really kind of like zeroes in on his style with the next one that he does. Okay. This one, I feel like he's a little hesitant. I'm not sure. It's one of two things. Either he was a little too hesitant and didn't know like exactly the right tone to hit with this, or it could be that David Whitaker, who is the script editor, was a little worried about his writing and changed things. And I'm not sure because in the next season, Dennis Spooner actually becomes the script editor for the series. And so his scripts don't get edited by somebody else. So he just gets <laughs> through what he wants. But yeah, it almost seems like sometimes the tone isn't quite sure. Like it wants to kind of be a comedy, but it's really way too dark for that. And I'm like, is he just hesitant? Or was David Whitaker like, this is too silly. I better darken it up a little bit. And it just <laughs> doesn't feel right. I don't know. He, he certainly did have those moments of traveling music. All, among all the death. <laughs> yeah. I think the composer was a little, like, confused about what this was, too. And he was just like, yeah, I'm just going to, like, make this guy to jaunty. I'm looking at my notes for, like, sort of, like, the story as a whole. A lot of them we've already talked about. You know, like, William Hartnell loves being the center of attention in this one. Like, he, he is just basking in it and loves doing all the sort of, like, comedic doctor running circles around people stuff. But, uh, yeah, the, one of the notes that I put here was, like, Barbara, you know, after we've been talking about how awesome she is, this episode story is not the best for her. No, I felt a little sad. I mean, first off, she was busy mm. trying to take care of Susan, even though I think she should have been more focused on dragging Susan out of the stupid <laughs> jail or out of the cart. I don't care that her head hurts. And maybe she just got all, like, she thought that Leon was cute and got interested in him, and then, you know, he turns out to be a traitor and he yeah. got shot. I just feel a little bad. I feel like, I don't know. I'm not sure how I feel. It just makes me sad. Well, yeah, because it's like her plots are she's either being lusted after by the jailer or Leon or she's nursemaid to Susan. Yeah. It really doesn't like give her a lot to do. <laughs> so, yeah, it's not the best outing for Barbara. But the doctor, like, you know, he just shines in this one. This is, this is definitely, it. yeah, like a, like a showcase for him. So at the end, I mean, I'm going to ask you about all the characters, but specifically, I think I already know because I think you mentioned it. What is your, what is your thought about Lamette? Like, what do you think about him? I thought he was well done. I liked, I liked his character a lot. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't want to like him. Because I'm like, oh, he's a bad guy. And then I kept being like, no, but he's like really on top of things. Like really on top. And there's reasons why, obviously. But he knows. He knows the doctor's just a being a complete fraud. He he was smarmy and sneaky without feeling like a slime ball. Yeah. And so that's what I got out of it, too. It's, it's funny how we're kind of thinking in some way. Some of the reviews I've read for this talk about his acting being wooded. And I was like, no, I saw it as being like super self-assured. Like, oh, yeah. this is a guy who's really confident that he's the smartest man in the room and he's able to, like, pull all this, you know, like, he's got all the dirt on everybody. He knows, you know, everything. And so, like, I, I thought that he was actually, like, I thought it was a fairly well done. I did, too. I loved watching him just catch the doctor and, and basically <laughs> toy with him. Uh-huh. Oh, uh, my great. favorite is when the doctor thinks he's going to get out of there and he just shows up right as yeah. the, like he knew he knew he's going to try to sneak out and he was just ready to just be like hey good morning <laughs> makes me wonder how long he was waiting there yeah, exactly <laughs> so yeah i mean like so, all right so what do you think of our other guest characters we had uh jules we had the jailer we had leon I i'm not going to count i mean jean and danielle are two are two minor. i think most of the other characters are are too minor but I actually had a comment in my notes at one point that I enjoyed the time that we took with all of the side characters. Mm. Like they felt fleshed out, mm. at least the important ones. But I enjoyed 
the time that we got to spend with them either on their own or with our main characters, even if like Marco Polo, I felt like it didn't spend enough time. Mm-hmm. I, I felt like it, it skewed the time in the episodes. We spent way too much time with Marco Polo. We, we didn't spend enough time with other characters, with mm-hmm. our main characters. I felt like this one distributed the time well. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, I mean, because like even like someone like the Jailer, which is a very skeezy character, I feel like he he was well suited for the role they wanted him to play in the story. He was supposed to be sort of that bumbling comic relief character. Except for the part that he started off kind of rapey. Yeah. Yeah, that was a bit unnecessary. But yeah, I mean, he he served that purpose. You know, like like you said, like Jules, uh, Jules had more layers to him than he needed to have. And that was a really nice thing for them to to show that, you know, it wasn't just like, oh, well, he's an aristocrat. So, of course, he's trying to, like, fight back against the revolution. It's like, no, he's just right. an ordinary guy that's like, I don't think people need to be needlessly killed. Right. You know, and so that was a really nice thing. I think that he he did a good job with that role also. And even, like, we talked about, like, with Robespierre, like, even though he wasn't as major or prominent because he was only in the, the last few episodes and not even that many scenes... You know, like, like you well said, done. like, this guy went for it. Like, he was really, like, <laughs> into the role. Like, when he's saying it was about, you know, it, for me, I'm like, yeah, no, he sounds like he's about to fall apart. Yeah, yeah. Like, you feel like, yeah, in that episode four, when he's first time with the doctor, you feel like he's about to have a breakdown when he's just, uh-huh. like, talking about, like, all the traitors everywhere and everything. It's like, man... Even the tailor, like I didn't mention the tailor as one of the ones, you know, the side characters, and he's also very minor. You want skis ball? <laughs> you know, like, that right. was that was very well done with the whole like he's just this sort of like little kind of like weaselly guy, you know. Oh, he was. He was perfect. Yeah. Uh, and so I think, yeah, I think if anything, this one was really well cast. Because even the soldiers in the first episode and all that, there were a lot of roles where it was like these were just people in one episode of the six, mm-hmm. but they did a good job with what they did, you know, uh, you know, and then that it's just the story moves on and they're out of we it. We could so. appreciate it. Yeah. So so the actor who plays Leon is back in a different role than a later story. He is great. I, okay. I feel like this actor is, is one of the really good ones they get for the show. And for all I say about how, like, you know, you can just watch him undress Barbara with his <laughs> eyes. He is a very charismatic actor. You 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 are riveted to the, the screen when he's there because he is so good at what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I thought that was he was uh, very good uh, also. So we've talked a lot about Barbara and Susan and the doctor in this one. What, how, what do you think about Ian in this one? Ian was OK. I feel like his reactions were way subdued. Mm-hmm. I feel like he did not react nearly enough to Barbara, seeing Barbara and Susan being taken out mm-hmm. for execution because that's what he told was going to was going to happen. I feel like he didn't definitely did not seem surprised or excited enough when he found them alive. I'd say probably his best moment was when he was caught by Leon. Yeah. Well, that's that's me was his high point. Yeah. I mean, I do like the personal stuff, though. Like, like, I like the quiet moments with Barbara, where it's just him and Barbara. And we have it in the beginning with them talking about leaving, with him buttering up the doctor. And then the whole idea of them coming to the realization that they do want to get home, but it's kind of like, I'm really not that disappointed if we're not. And, and I love that. I just like those quiet moments between the two of them are like some of my favorite parts of the series. Yeah. Maybe I was just not as impressed if only because he was ready for his two weeks vacation. Right. But yeah, but then also the moments they have in in episode five when they're talking about Leon's death and everything. I thought that that was was also really good. All right, so uh, final thoughts on this one. I like it. 
Like I said, I feel like it could have been an episode longer or an episode shorter. Mm -hmm. I can't figure out which one. I feel like they either try to stretch it out too far or they compressed it. And I can't figure out which one it needed. But I dig it. Mm -hmm. I liked this arc. I like this time period because it's morbidly fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can tell. Like, like that's the thing. Like, I was like, I was like, I wonder if Juliet knows anything about the French Revolution. And then suddenly you're like schooling me on the French, you know, which revolution are you talking about? Oh, okay. Let me spout my history (laughs) out. you yeah you think you're gonna learn history from doctor who i'm gonna give it to you right here in our time streams podcast (laughs) you know that would be if if i was a history major i think a (laughs) podcast i would love to do would be like let's talk about doctor who's and how well it handles history and different like versus like the actual historical record you know and stuff like that i think that would be a really interesting sort of dive into like what was really going on how accurate is this all that kind of stuff i think it's interesting yeah yeah Yeah. i'm glad that you like history too this is this is great because now i you know, a lot of times people don't like the historical stories. They're like, they're boring. And I'm like, they're not boring. I don't like all of history. There's some seriously boring history out there. Yeah. But the reign of terror, how can you not be fascinated by this? And, you know, guillotines, kill the rich, all of that mess. That's right. Well, this is, you know, every time I see the phrase eat the rich, I think about this story. <laughs> every single time and so i'm like yeah like as long as we don't go with guillotines people (laughs) we can go you can go kind of crazy with this what do you think of the story overall i mean where does it stand like in your realm of doctor who enjoyment yeah i mean so there's a couple of things going on like you say i feel like it's not it's not the ideal pacing you know like so yeah i agree with you it does drag in places so it could have been like i see what you're saying there were there were enough plots in there it could have been longer or it could have been shorter with the plots that they, you know, and then it would have been like moving and more pacey. Right. But yeah, I don't think it's at the ideal pacing, but they do a really good job of handling, you know, this really dark time in history in a tasteful way, but also doesn't pull punches. Yeah, no, it's it's still dark without actually showing us cutting off anything. Right, time. exactly. Like, and you like even like when the doctor is like bashing somebody's head with a <laughs> with a shovel, they don't show that. But they show the guy's reaction to it, and that's enough. (laughs) Just like, ooh, you know, like, and that guy, that's another, like, I mean, it was a small part, but he pulled that face, and it looked real, you know. Oh, he sold it. But yeah, I mean, it's certainly not one of the, like, the important episodes that you've got to watch or whatever, but I do like it. I do feel like tonally, it kind of drifts around a little too much. Maybe that's necessary, you know, maybe because it is so dark, it's necessary to kind of, to. but I feel like the humor doesn't quite land all the time that they're trying to do. I don't know. I'm a big fan of, the, like I said, the juxtaposition of humor or like lighter music over darker imagery. Well, but let me give you an example. The doctor putting the coins over the guy's eyes? Oh, no, that I thought was totally all on the doctor. Yeah, he's not dead yet, but I feel like the doctor was just anticipating. And I feel like the the doctor thought that was totally hilarious. (laughs) I mean, I get it. I'm just saying, like, I don't know that that was funny to me, even though it was supposed to be. I was kind of like, you are you are consigning this man to death and you're just kind of joking about it by putting the coins on his eyes. No, no, it was hilarious to me. I don't know why. But then again, I thought I have some seriously dark senses of humor. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. I also find that the opening of the old 
stand miniseries where we have don't fear the reaper played over a lot of moving images of dead scientists <laughs> was totally the best opening i'd seen in a while same thing with zombie land you know mm, okay fair enough Fair enough. So yeah, so what is your what is your rating out of 10? So like I said, the only real problems I have with it was pacing. Yeah. Other than that, I give it a solid nine. Oh, okay. It touched on a favorite part of my enjoyment of history. And I feel like they did a good job with it. Okay, excellent. Yeah, no, this is this is uh, one I'm going to differ with from you. I am giving it a seven. Oh, wow. So why? <laughs> why so low? Well, I mean, God, it's not like it's like a two or anything. <laughs> like... You know, like I say, it's. I feel like the tone is a little all over the place. It is good in that it's, you know, d- is dark like it's supposed to be, but it also kind of drags. So I just don't feel like it's, you know, as good as some of the other ones that we've seen in the, you know, in the season. So it's a good one, but it's not excellent. Okay. I'm not, I can't argue with your opinion. But I think you're a little more predisposed to liking the French Revolution in general. <laughs> I don't know why you'd even say that considering I've, I'm pretty sure I've spent like 20 minutes at least talking about the history of France. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I enjoy your passion for the subject. <laughs> well, and the worst part is, is it's like a passion because of fictional, yeah. it, like media, you know, the, the Scarlet Pimpernel, Les Mis, Phantom hey, of the hey, Opera. But here's the thing. Like, if I hadn't watched, like, all the shows that I watched as a kid, I'd have no interest in history either. That all comes from TV. Like, it was, uh, I don't know if you recall the show Voyagers, but that was a time travel show. Mm-hmm. You know, I watched that when I was a kid. Then I watched Doctor Who. There was Bill and Ted. All that got me interested in, like, who were these people? Like, why, you know, like, why did they show them in this show? Or Time Bandits is another one. Right. Well, and media is doing that a lot better these days. Like, for instance, Watchmen, the series, as well as Lovecraft Country, have made people look up the Tulsa Race Master. Mm-hmm. People didn't know about that. Right. No, I know. So I'm I'm grateful that media does that still, even if it was for me. You know, I read Les Mis, the unabridged copy, while I was in high school, like in one full school day. I got in trouble <laughs> for reading during class, and I can't tell you. They're like, what are you reading? I'm like, Les Mis. <laughs> Yeah, I think the only thing that I've read other than the novelization of this story that takes place in the French uh, Revolution is A Tale of Two Cities. Well, I highly recommend anything involving the Scarlet Pimpernel. Okay. Yeah, I I don't think I was even really aware that it was a book series until just recently. I knew that there was a show, you know, and I wasn't even aware Mm -hmm. that it was a book series of the Scarlet Pimpernel. So yeah, there's actually multiple shows, Mm -hmm. multiple movies. Yeah. I'll have to see if the uh, the BBC version is on Netflix for disc. And if it is, I will tell you. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that uh, other than uh, me talking about uh, the book that I want to mention, which is, uh, I'm going to talk about Wiped, uh, which is a book about all these missing Doctor Who stories that I'm talking about and the story of the people that uh, recover them and are looking in all these countries and in the, all the different places that they've been sold, or even to the point, and this is the funny anecdote that I got from the book. So apparently the first VCR, uh, it wasn't called a VCR, but basically the first like video recorder for televisions uh, was sold in 1967. They are actually like looking for collectors who were actually taping stuff on TV in 1960s, the late 1960s, to see if any of them recorded uh, Doctor Who episodes on tape that they can then take and, and digitize and stuff. And there was actually a story in there where they actually found a guy and he had a tape that was labeled with one of the missing stories and they got really excited. But when they played it, he had taped over it. <gasps> Yeah. <laughs> 
but the uh, but the possibility is out there that there might be somebody else out there so they're still looking for people that might still have tape collections from that very old machine um like sitting in their attics or something and so uh and so yeah and the search still is ongoing at tv stations and stuff of you know in some countries they don't let foreigners in or they're not letting them in but there are people who've created whole businesses around like digitizing like uh you know television archives and so they go in they don't say that they're making money off of the you know they're not saying like we're here for doctor who but a lot of times that's the people were doctor who fans that then thought hey there's a business out of this they go to these countries and say we'll digitize your television archive and while they're there they're of course looking through everything they have to see if they have old episodes of doctor who as they're digitizing stuff so oh my gosh yeah 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 so i mean like and of course there are other shows that are missing too i mean like doctor who is probably the one that has the biggest fan base that people are actively like looking like the guy who found the tapes and or the films in cyprus he was a doctor who fan that was of Cyprus descent, mm-hmm. but it was living in England. And as soon as he found out that there were missing episodes, he used his family connections to check at the Cyprus TV station to find out if they had any Doctor Who films. So, I mean, like, all of the, a lot of this recovery is fan-driven. Sometimes it's something where, like, a private collector, like, you know, or a guy that was a former BBC employee, like, took a film can that was going to be destroyed anyway with them when they left. And so they just happened to return, you know, like, okay, I've had this for years sitting around you know like you guys want this back and then people are like is it's a missing one yes we want it back but but a lot of these are the 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 effort to like recover ones that are like sitting around in archives somewhere that's all fan driven so it's kind of an interesting story yeah uh so that book is called wiped by richard molesworth uh that's m-o-l-e-s-w-o-r-t-h and i'll have a link to that in the show notes cool yep so uh yeah so next time what we're going to do uh we're not going to cover the next story which is planet of giants um we're actually going to do a season one overview uh with some guests with us yeah so uh you know we've been we've been going through uh these eight stories uh we even broke two of them into two uh now it's kind of time to sit back and talk about okay what have we watched and you know what do we think about it what do we think about where the show's going and uh yeah so um that should be fun and be a little bit of a shorter episode because i know some of these have gone a little long um, i so. don't know why you'd say that with my <laughs> 20 minute expositions on french history right. yeah. and- this one would have been significantly shorter if juliet didn't turn out to be a professor of uh, of history of the french or revolution 15 minutes on thal fashion <laughs> Yeah, if we cut out all the Dione talk of the two Dalek episodes, we probably could have done it in one. <laughs> yeah, hoping she was awesome. <laughs> have you sent the letter to Virginia Weatherho? Not yet. I need oh. to. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I would be really interested to see if she replies. <laughs> I feel like your character changed my life. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. All right. <laughs> All right, but that's enough for now. Uh, We've been going long enough. So um, thank you for listening. Uh, This is Nathan. (laughs) This is Juliet. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Time Streams, a subsidiary of the 42Cast podcast. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, email us at everything at 42cast.com. Beginning music is Vortex, followed by Pulse Rock, both by Kevin McLeod and licensed by a Creative Commons Attribution License. Ending music is Voltaic, also by Kevin McLeod and licensed by a Creative Commons Attribution License.